Previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy long walks on the beach. Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. <laughs> My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very <sighs> distressed. Lady T here. <laughs> I'm not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. Anna is in the house. I'm a hat rack. And I'm Keza. Hello. We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still farms. Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest, invest in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. (laughs) Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? (laughs) I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. (laughs) Oh, Vicodin. I love the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment. And you're mocking my accent. My mother-in-law is evil. She got a cat. I'm very, very allergic to cats. And my mother-in-law is evil. And she knows this. And she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Snape and Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me, and the second half of my life began. She really does love them. This is like the Manhattan Project. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I, just, I just kicked my dog in the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. From a memory charm and everyone in the room. <laughs> Shalom. You have reached Puffwa's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. Hold on. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little creaky? Oh God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean what is to kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more too. <laughs> so what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought I Jen love- got pregnant on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, Butterfick Weekly. For Friday, December 5th, 2008, this is episode 64 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Oh, will there ever be again a podcast quite like this? 
one who brought us together and started its own forum list. Where the hosts are all our friends, all the stories told by Jen. Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly, where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome back to Parfic Weekly. This is Ryan. Michael. I'm Sue. I'm Ray. And I'm on Mike. I just want to say I like to give everyone updates on Mike's therapy every week. Uh, we, we, we were having problems for like... 14 episodes in a row, Mike was saluting me as the podcast began, and he was only screaming his name and his social security number, and that was the only information we could get out of him. We have zapped him with electrodes, like his nipples are purple. Like, we have zapped him, and oh, we have... Gosh. Yes, I know, we're on Mike's nipples, and I'm, I'm barely through the intro. Um, we have gotten him to say his entire first name, and, and, and this is like, you know, 13 weeks, I think we spent like $38,000, but we're still working on it, so... <laughs> Things are going well. Now, I would like to first congratulate Mike. Uh, Mike, Keza, Gentoo, and P.S. have been made full-time hosts of Polarfic Weekly, so congratulations, Mike. I do have to say, I think it was your shock of male pregnancy that threw you over the top. Uh, so... Definitely congratulations. Uh, you're going to see a lot of rotation on the podcast in future weeks. So there are weeks I won't be here. And, and on those weeks, everyone will call Melinda Melinda and you know everything will be wonderful. But we're going to have a lot more variety in the podcast. Hopefully you'll get a podcast every week as opposed to every three weeks. And we will continue this podcast until I die of old age or until my computer dies of old age. Whatever occurs first based on how often I'm on my laptop. It does not look too good for my laptop. So, uh, congratulations, Mike. So tonight we are starting Death Rolls Fic. They shook hands. We're going to be covering the first three years of Hogwarts by Death Roll. Uh, this is the second fic of this type that we have covered on Powerfic Weekly, which is a retelling of the story uh, from you know Philosopher's Stone all the way through to the ending. And it's also our second Harry is a Slytherin uh, fic. The first, of course, being A Year Like None Other by Aspen in the Sunlight. Although in that story, Harry was more of a hybrid. He was like a Gryffindor, but he was also a Slytherin. And that story started at sixth year, and this one starts at first year. So we definitely have a lot of new ground to cover. Um, on this podcast, I do just want to say, I just realized I've been monologuing for eight minutes, and you know what? I'm going to keep going. Um, I just want to say this real fast. I uh, have been trying to take notes um, as I podcast, and everyone who is podcasting with me right now will have just received my 38-page, single-space, no-margin <laughs> uh, set of notes without even spaces in them. Uh, and there have been many moments where some where people have said, well, what do you think so far? So I've sent them copies of my notes so far. And there'll be a moment where I'm like, I don't like the characterization here. And they will say, uh, Ryan, JKR wrote that. I'll be like, ah. So I will take that out. <laughs> I've had that happen to me three times. There's three things. I'm like, I don't think Jethro got the characterization of this character down, only to find out that Joe wrote the damn thing. So... Um, I think what we can what we can derive from this is uh, Joe Rowling does not understand the, um, the 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 origins of her own characters. So we will get to that as we go through the story. And uh, I would like to welcome Sue tonight. Sue is a Hufflepuff. Yay! Yay. Sue is a Hufflepuff. I am a Hufflepuff. 
everyone else is a Slytherin. So uh, we are surrounded by Slytherins tonight, all of whom have been so excited to cover this fic. Uh, Renner couldn't make it tonight, and I swear to God, Mike poisoned her because he really <laughs> wanted to be here tonight to discuss these chapters. So we're going to do chapters 1 through 15 of uh, year 1 of uh, They Shook Hands, which is a realistic fic by Death Roll. I thought that was funny at the beginning of every chapter. It's like an original and, and realistic fic. I'm like, okay, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. You have to tell me. I believe you. All right. So uh, why don't we get uh, going with chapter one here? And because I've been talking for 27 minutes, someone feel free to start us off. Um, okay. I'll start off, I guess. By the way, Ryan, I have absolutely no questions about this fic. <laughs> okay. You got Harry was a Slytherin. You're all set. I'm all set. Uh, <laughs> this is unprecedented. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so... Uh, the point of departure from this one, I think, is interesting because, personally, I think what it plays on is this idea that – and I, I know I've talked a lot with Death just in conversations, but I, don't, I think he agrees with me, but I don't know. But I think he goes from the idea that Harry's sort of this blank slate in year one and that mm-hmm. what shapes him as a person is the house he winds up in and the friends he makes. So Harry, as we know him in book seven, is, is that Harry – in large part because he's friends with Hermione and Ron, and because he had the Gryffindor experience with Hagrid and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the start of it, he's sort of this blank slate so he can go either way. And what Harry really wants most of all is friends, because that's what he's been denied the first ten years living with the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of desperate to grasp, up, grasp up around him and find friends. And when Draco offers him his hand, which is the difference in this story from the other story, like it starts off the same with him kind of well, do you play Quidditch? Well, blah, blah, blah. Like kind of being a little pompous. But then um, this Draco is like, where's my manners? Offers his hand. And at that point, we diverge a little bit. And Harry shakes his hand. And this is a Harry who hasn't met Ron yet. And as a result, he has this sort of initial friendship bond with Draco. Well, just to clarify, too, he never met Ron at this point in the original. Because the Correct. movies yeah. screw it up. In the movies, he's at Hogwarts. He's met Ron on the train. And then after seeing Ron... He meets Draco, and Draco is such a stark contrast that Harry instantly knows, I want nothing to do with this kid. The books were, like, as Death Roll's putting it, he's at Madame Mulligan's, he walks in, he doesn't have a good feel for Draco, and he won't shake his hand, whereas here he does, Mm -hmm. to clarify that. And I'll jump out of the way in a second. The one thing I just want to add here in the beginning is, um, and I I actually wrote, I'm going to read to you from my notes. I I wrote this before I started reading the fic, uh, Mm -hmm. and and my notes go as follows. Before I even started listening, because I listened to the podcast in audio form, I know the basic plot and flipped ahead to a scene where Harry was insulting Ron as he would insult Draco in, in Philosopher's Stone. I don't have any difficulty believing Harry would defend a friend, especially given how Ron would likely treat him and Draco if the roles were reversed. Um, what I'm going to be watching as I, as I read and listen to this fic closely is the characterization of Draco. Would he be the good friend that Harry would want to befriend and defend. And what I mean by that is, especially within um, Nightmare of Futures Past 2, the, the plot line is one thing changes, and as a result, here's what happens you know, going forward. The one difference, the title of the fic alleges, is that because Harry shook hands with Draco, here's what happens. And I found a lot of... Um, I had difficulty believing that going forward, because there's obviously a lot more that's changed. Draco has an older brother, which is 
different. And I'm assuming that will come into play more. Really, like, this doesn't need to be Draco's brother within the first 15 chapters. It could be, you know, just an older Slytherin or whatever. So I'm assuming that comes into play later. Um, obviously, there's the difference with Hermione, although you could argue that's rolled into the whole Harry shaking hands with Draco thing. Uh, Draco seems like a very different character than he does in Philosopher's Stone, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, you know, which in and of itself is fine. Um, I think to go with Draco's brother, and I think the other change is Blaze Zabini is obviously a girl in this and not a guy. That I'm fine with because people didn't know. I mean, Blaze is a guy's name, but a lot of authors didn't really know that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, did we know at the we, time? We didn't know Draco was, was a. Sibling? Yeah, we didn't know that Draco was an only sibling at the time. So when I think he, when that, was this written? When, when did it start? Um, I'm pretty sure it was, it was either right after book five. I think it would have to be right after book five, yeah. Well, we certainly knew he didn't have in the first... Okay, if this were to be believed as canon, then Draco would have an older brother at the school in the first three books. We just don't never, see. Which was never referenced. So I kind of think that that was, that was put in as like a retcon that changed the canon in a way that wasn't influenced by Harry just shaking hands with Draco at Madame Malkin's. So I feel like that was a, that, that was a deliberate uh, change to the storyline. But anyway, I don't want to take up too much time on this. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that there's more going on to the story than just the fact that Harry shook hands with Draco. There's differences in characterization. There's more substantive changes that were completely unaffected by that. So I think that if Death Roll set out to, to tell a story of here's everything that would have changed if Harry did shake his hand, I think the story fails in that respect because I don't think that is what he tells. What I think, and what, I'm, what I'll close with tonight is, what I think he does show, and I think he does it pretty well, is he shows if you were to completely wipe the slate clean and, and tell a different story of a Harry that went into Slytherin house with different, you know, here's a chance to reimagine the character of Draco. Here's a chance to reimagine the character of Ron and, and to refocus Harry. If you want to tell a, a, a fresh story from the beginning and make changes to characters, I think it works pretty well, but that's, and we'll get into that throughout the chapter tonight. And with that, I'm back. I think, and leaving aside the thing with his brother, I what I, I, what I think part of it may be, is that, and maybe the other Slytherins can chime in here, I think what you have is it's not just a question of direct defense that come as a result of Harry being shaking hands with Draco and then being sore into Slytherin, but you're seeing a point of view change. And again, I don't really know if this is what Death thinks, but my guess would be is that what he might argue is that in canon, our views of the characters are shaped by Harry's lens. And so that if Harry's in Slytherin, we're seeing all of these characters from a Slytherin perspective. And if you take, say, Hagrid, who I know I've talked with people, and they dis- a lot of people dislike how Hagrid's treated it in this story. And I understand why. I, agree. I don't think personally, for instance, that Hagrid's a drunk. I think we have a pretty good evidence from canon that he's not a drunk. But, I, but it's not based on nothing. That if you read canon book one, I, I think in my notes I have in there a couple of quotes where you see where Hagrid really is going to drink. So not to say the Slytherins are right, but you're seeing sort of the Slytherin perspective. Where is this? Where is their dislike of Hagrid coming from? Why? Where is there, you know, if Harry's raising a Slytherin, maybe he'll view Dumbledore this way. He'll view Hagrid this way mm-hmm. and so on down the line. I think that's all a really good way to judge the story. I think there are times in the story that, like, I, I can totally believe, you know, Harry would not like Ron because Ron, Ron absolutely would, think of Harry as, as a Slytherin Death Eater in training. He thinks of all of them as Death Eaters in training. That's valid. I just think that there are points where the, where the Slytherins, even if you're assuming this is you know the unbiased perspective, I think they come across differently than they otherwise would. But we'll get into some specific examples. I just wanted to say this was written between uh, Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, Ray, Sue, did you guys want to chime in before we jumped into the chapters? Well, I have something about Hagrid that I thought um, in reading it that seeing it from the different perspective, like Mike said, that we forgave him more when it was from the Gryffindor perspective, because you do see that he drinks um, in the canon and things like that. And so I did feel that when I was reading it and that, wow, seeing it from a different side makes this really appear different because, mm-hmm. you know, we really did kind of, you know, brush over maybe or seeing it from the, the Gryffindor side where, it's not, you didn't think of him as an alcoholic, whereas they're seeing it as he is an alcoholic type of thing. So it was just, just the different perspectives. It made me really think about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't really, like in the books, I know I never really thought about the fact that Hagrid leaves Harry and goes to, by himself in Diagon Alley and then goes off to the Leaky Cauldron for a drink. You don't even think about that in the canon. It doesn't register. But then here it stands out a bit more. The one th- and just to jump into the story, um, and Ray, definitely if you want to say anything, I feel like I just talked over you. Um, jumping into the story, I thought that one of the very interesting things that Death Roll started out doing was the story begins, you know, mid Philosopher's Stone. It begins, you know, at the arrival of Diagon Alley. So we don't have to see, you know, the introduction to Harry again because there'd be no change because the primary change here is that they shook hands, obviously. So the story begins, you know, mid-beat. It begins like in Act 2, and Harry and, and Hagrid arrive at Diagon Alley. And, you know, it begins as it did before. Draco insults Hagrid, and Harry really responds coldly to that as he did before. He And, and that's the thing, too. Harry is a character, and we just came off reading Melinda Leo's Power of Emotion. And, and the thing about that thing is we were always in touch with Harry and his emotional state and where he was and what he was doing. So in this story, it was Harry was a little less accessible to the reader. So I was trying to figure out what is Harry thinking? You know, how is he interpreting the insult on Hagrid, the person who just saved him from, you know, from his aunt and uncle and brought him into the wizarding world. And, and I think that, you know, the relationship with Harry and Hagrid is handled, I think, very well here. Um, and, and, you know, we moved to the, to the moment where, where Harry shakes Draco's hand, not because he has an overwhelming desire to, but because he has no what else to do. You know, Draco says, where are my manners? I'm Draco Malfoy. He puts his hand out. Harry shakes it. Uh, you know, not because the alternative would be to be extremely rude and he didn't have justification to do that yet. Which is the parallel, I think, of what actually happens when Draco offers to shake his hand in canon later on. And by that point, he's become friends with Ron. And so he, he doesn't shake Draco's hand. No, yet. I don't think, no, that's the movie though. In the canon. No, in, the, in, in canon, does he not offer when, uh, does he not stick his hand out in canon? He d- in canon, it's exactly as it's written here. He's at Madame Malkin's, and well, I mean later. I mean later on, like like in canon, isn't it? Like in Madame Malkin's, obviously Draco doesn't offer to shake his hand, but don't they? When he goes up and he says, "Like I'll show you the right certain wizards are better than others," blah blah. No, blah. he does that at Madame Malkin's. He does that. That that whole scene happens at Madame Malkin's in the canon, and then he goes to platform nine and three quarters and he meets Ron after. In right, the and I'm movie, saying, well, the what's the, conver- isn't there a conversation that we're, where when Draco comes into their compartment or something like that and, on and the Ron train. That, yeah, on the train and Ron snickers at his name when Draco introduces himself and Draco goes like, what's your name? Isn't that from canon? Does that, anyone know? I don't think that happens in canon. Where's P.S. when we need her? <laughs> I know, no, I think that actually, doesn't that happen in Nightmare Futures Past? Cause, cause Harry, no, I think that, Canon. Does that happen in Canon? This is ridiculous. Anyone have a Canon book? <laughs> yeah, I can get it. Hold Hang on. on. All right. <laughs> See, this is why we need PS on these things. Does anyone know what happened in the Canon? Hang on, I got my. Check that up. That's actually. It's fan fiction. I know. No, isn't that terrible? It's like I read some on fan fiction. I'm like, what? I'm telling you, three times in here, I put notes down that I didn't like the characterization. It turns out JKR wrote it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. He okay. sticks a lot of bits from the books. 
and it happens less after you leave year one, but especially in year one, you'll see he sticks like paragraphs in the books in the middle of his chapters. Cite your sources. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't cite them at all. Well, so I know. I know. It's the, it's the fandom of Cassandra Clare. You can always cite your sources. Okay. Diagon Alley. So I, think, so I think it happens on the train is what I'm saying. I think it happens. All right, yeah, I so, think you're right. I'm looking. All right, all right just so, so we know here, um, uh, Harry, just to clarify, um, Harry, in the back of the shop, a boy with a pale pointed face was standing on a footstool. That's all from this thick as well. Uh, hello, Hogwarts 2. Yes, said Harry. My father is next door buying books. The mother's up the street looking at wands. Yada, yada, yada. Have you got your own broom? The boy went on. No, said Harry. Play Quidditch at all. No, Harry said again, wondering what on earth Quidditch could be. I do. Father says it's a crime if I'm not picked to play from my house. And I must say, I agree. This will be in yet. No, said Harry, feeling super about the minute. Da, 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 da. I have it. You have it? I think Harry... Okay, here we go. He's the gameskeeper, says Harry. He was liking the boy less and less every second. Yes, exactly. I heard he's a sort of savage. Lives in the hut on the school grounds every now and then. And then he gets drunk, tries to do magic, and ends up setting fire to his bed. I think he's brilliant, Harry said coldly. Do you, the boy said with a slight sneer. Why is he with you? Where are your parents? They're dead, said Harry shortly. He didn't feel much like going into the matter with the boy. Oh, sorry, the boy said, uh, not sounding sorry at all. But they were our kind, weren't they? So I mean, in, in, in the canon, yeah, yeah. yeah, in the canon, it's very adversarial. He's not going to shake this kid's hand. And actually, uh, do, do, do. he might not have if. if- Hag- he offers to shake the hand before Hagrid comes, so it might have been that if you know the comments of Hagrid had come first and then the offer of the handshake, you might have seen something different. Okay, Sue, what do you got? Okay, three boys entered, and Harry recognized the middle one at once. It was the pale boy from Madame Malcolm's robe shop. He was looking at Harry with a lot more interest than he had shown back in Diagon Alley. Is it true, he said, they're saying all up and down the train that Harry Potter is in this compartment? So it's you, is it? Yes, said Harry. He was looking at the other boys. Yada, yada, yada. This is Crab and this is Goyle, the pelt boy said carelessly, noticing Harry was looking. And my name's Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. Ron gave a slight cough, which might have been hiding a snicker. Draco looked at him. Think my name is funny, do you? No need to ask who you are. My father told me all the Weasleys have red hair, freckles, and more children than they can afford. He turned back to Harry. You'll soon find out that some wizarding families are much better than others, Potter. You won't, don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. He held out his hand to shake Harry's, but Harry didn't take it. Ha, I was right. You know what? I'm going to say this. Not only does Mike know more about the story than I do, he just one-upped me a canon. We should have made him a host years ago. Well done. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and that actually does add a lot to the character, too. The only reason he wants to shake Harry's hand in canon is because he knows he's Harry Potter. Now, I don't have, does he in Death Earl's fic here, do, does he know this is Harry Potter? Not at this point. No. He doesn't. Like yes. after. So that's that's even um, a further change in Draco's character that he is, you know. The thing about the Draco in the story is he's um, he's a very good friend. Any issue I may have with the characterization is that I don't see Draco as being someone who has friends or has people he, has people he cares about. I see him more like a Tom Riddle. You know, he, he I'm not sure that's true, though, because, well, we know he cares about his family because look at all the stress he goes through in book six because yeah. he clearly loves his family and he and i almost think too in in book seven you get the sense he cares about crab and goyle but he's certainly yeah i mean he's popular but popular doesn't mean friends but he does he he cares about people you can make the argument about whether he has close friends or not but he Mm -hmm. does have emotional connections i think that's pretty clear okay no go ahead Roy. go ahead in canon it's almost like he was another dudley you know he had his own little gang that he hung out with the crab and goyle were his thugs and then like pansy and 
most yeah, of they're always mean, you know? Yeah. That's the thing, I guess, too. It's like you're – and JKR has said, too, um, that the Slytherins were – I got this from Melinda, so if you're listening, Melinda, hey. Um, JKR had said that the uh, Slytherins in canon were written to be the bullies that picked on JKR when she was in school. So they were very one-dimensional. So I think the difficulty with a fic like this is you take Millicent Bolstrode, who's never meant to be dimensional, <laughs> and, you ma- and you make her dimensional. So then yeah. that, that implies, okay, you're radically changing the character, and then the, the comeback line is, well, there was no character. It was a cardboard cutout. We, so that's it, – it's a challenge, but let's – I think the argument would go that Harry never saw her as a character, only as a bullying Slytherin in canon. Mm-hmm. So now this Harry gets to see her as a person. Fair enough. So let's get further into this. Let's talk about – so obviously Harry Dra- uh, shakes Draco's hand, and there's this awful scene where I feel terrible for Hagrid, where Hagrid is looking for Harry, and he's got the two ice cream cones, which are like melting oh. in his hand because he can't find Harry anywhere. <laughs> I'd forgotten oh. about that. And yeah, it's it's uh, like I even wrote here. I I feel very badly for Hagrid, poor Hagrid, and the ice cream cones. And, they say um, that they say that he had the ice cream cones, pointing out why he can't go in, and then right after that, um, Lucius comes in. And he says, I just saw Hagrid wandering back off to the bar, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> another pick-me-up. <laughs> exactly. He's very depressed about the melting ice cream cone situation. <laughs> Dumbledore never prepare them for this. He's calling Mother Headquarters for instructions. Um, the thing about the scene, too, and this is, I think, what um, intrigued me the first time I read the chapter. You have Lucius Malfoy who obviously is Slytherin. He obviously is calculating. This is Harry Potter. I can mold him. We can, you know, we can use yeah. him for various purposes. And Narcissa Malfoy, who is like Molly Weasley on crack. Like, I don't trust this woman. Do not eat the chocolate. I don't have a good feeling about her. I was screaming, and, run, Harry, run, exactly. when that came up. I it's like when the child molesters are after you. Get away from him. Call for an adult when Hagrid's like crying in the bar right now with his head like down the floor. <laughs> ice cream cones and melting through his beard. And he eats them both out of, dis- out of pure <laughs> distress. And the thing that was different about that was I know Lucius is putting on an act, or I sense Lucius being the little Harry Jenny cannon shipper that I am. <laughs> Lucius <laughs> is lying. Narcissa is lying. But I can't figure Draco out as I'm reading it, because Draco is like a very good guy, and I'm not used to him being a very good guy to people he likes. <laughs> I mean, that's the difference. Oh. I don't. Well, the thing is, he's 11, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I think from what we saw in canon, at 11, yes, he's an arrogant snot, but he's an arrogant snot here. He's like, you know, I, my father says it would be a shame if I didn't get on the team, and I quite agree. I mean, he's still an arrogant snot. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's a bad person. I mean, well, no, 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 no. I agree he's an arrogant snot. Like, there was a line that, th- there was two moments Seth will put in here. One I liked, one I didn't. And the, the, the I didn't one, he, I can justify. There's there, the line he puts in um, when he's talking about um, Harry's aunt and uncle. He puts in the line, did your uncle hit you? My family doesn't like muggles. It's the moment where he feels sympathy for Harry for what he has gone through, and he he directly makes that case. We don't like muggles. Did they hit you? Look how terrible these muggles are. And that's the justification for why I could believe that Harry would feel comfortable in Slytherin, because even if... He needs friends. Even if, you know, there, there, there's much that Slytherin could provide him if they mold him early enough. He still is a really good kid. He's Harry Potter. He's the hero of the story. So I can't feel that he would be, you know, in the event he were to be befriended by a bunch of junior Death Eaters, if they were, he would go along with it because they got to him before Ron did. 
but I do believe that if you have Draco, you know, whether it's planned or, you know, whether it's an act or whether he really believes it, if you have Draco as a character say, look, you know, what these muggles did to you, I don't like the muggles either. I can buy into that, that Harry could, could interpret it that way, and that would be a way of, of pulling Harry, you know, closer to him. I'm fine with that. The one thing, there was a moment where Harry brings up Voldemort, and a sympathetic Draco puts his hand on Harry's shoulder and tells him, Voldemort can't get you anymore. That was like a, that was like a Ginny thing to do. That was like a, you know, <laughs> a, no, I, I mean, that was like a, what a really good friend says to you, and I have difficulty believing it's the little snot who is just showing up. You know, I mean, like there's times when Draco seems like a really, really, really good guy, and there's times where he seems like an absolute snot, and I have difficulty justifying in my head it's the same person. Number one and number two is the same person from the canon so draco takes a while to grow on me and we'll get into that a little bit later but i just want to i guess that well I, I agree with you 100 about the um dudley and the dursleys i think that's kind of one of the bridges to get harry to the slytherins and to their point of view a little bit um i guess is it okay i know we're going by chapter can i make sort of a general comment oh, about absolutely, draco absolutely. Just, yeah. um i guess this is my interpretation of it I think that partially it's because of when uh, Death Row wrote this and maybe just his interpretation. But my feeling is that when he looks at Lucius and Draco, the way he writes them is that Lucius, for, take Lucius for instance, he's a total, he's, he's the wizarding racist equivalent, pure bloodist. He's a schemer. He politically manipulates. He doesn't have very many political scruples. But I think Death Roll views him as still. What did I put in my notes? He still he views him still as kind of um, having some morals, even if they're not morals we would agree with. Like he sort of put some. I sort of compare Death Roll's Lucius to like um, sort of like a Godfather or a mafia sort of figure, where he breaks the laws and he's not a good person by any society measures, and he kills people and so on. But he does it, but he still has, he cares for his family, and he still has sort of this code where within this sort of moral code, he can be what a reader can interpret as a somewhat good guy. And I think that's how Death Row interprets Lucius. And I think as a result, that's, that trickles down to Draco. I, this, these Malfoys, definitely, and you'll see this as you keep reading on, are not the sort of die-hard, worshipping Voldemort Death Eaters we see in books six and seven. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, we supported Voldemort because of pure blood reasons, but we were kind of, we didn't really agree with everything he said. This was just the best political match for us. It was kind of cold calculation of where our choices were. So would it be fair to say, maybe we can grab this early in the podcast, would it be fair to say that this is not Draco from the canon, you know, shown through a story where Harry shook his hand. This is not Lucius from the canon, you know, told through a story where he was his son's best friend. These are variations on the characters. It's kind well, of P-O- P-O-U, P O U, a paradigm of uncertainty. They're, they're very, this is a different Lucius. This is a different Draco. This is the story over. You know, it's different texture to the story, and it also goes in a different direction. I don't hundred. I think it's what I think it is. Is if you have to keep in mind when he wrote it. If you take books five, six, and seven into account, then you're correct. I think at the point of time he wrote this, what it was, what it was meant to be, mm-hmm. was a point of departure that also changes the point of view and this idea, which you see a lot. And as someone who goes to a lot of Slytherin fandom centers, which you don't <laughs> see all the time, all the time at PFW, you see this viewpoint a lot that okay. everything in canon is through Gryffindor tinted glasses, and that oh. all these characters, all these Slytherin characters, are portrayed one dimensionally or incorrectly because of biases Harry gets as a Gryffindor. So what I think Death Row, and I'm putting words in his mouth, by what I think he's trying to do is you have this point of departure, which then shifts Harry's sort of paradigm view, 
or paradigm shift to take the year like another term. And so that now he's viewing all of these characters through Slytherin-tinted glasses and the Gryffindor characters through Slytherin-tinted glasses. So it's sort of like a complete reversal. But certainly if you put, put 5, 6, and 7 in, this is not the Lucius from 5, 6, and 7. It's once we learn more backstory about him, this isn't him. But I think if you keep in mind when it's written, then it's more, okay, this is an interpretation of how he thinks sure. Lucius really is. Awesome point. The only thing I'd add to that, and that's definitely a good point. You really have to consider when it was written. The only thing I'd add is that was also written at the time where we know that Lucius goes back to the graveyard when Voldemort returns. Although that doesn't... All the Death Eaters do, yeah. yeah I mean, the, yeah, the Death Eaters do. Okay. But why, I'm gonna, everyone else who, why doesn't everyone else jump in here a little bit and we'll... Yeah. Um, just to sort of uh, echo what Mike was saying. Um, okay, so I'm involved with the fandom, obviously, and I go to fandom events, and I have a young daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And she has friends. She meets new friends at cons, and they cannot wrap their brain around the idea that any would anyone would ever want to be a Slytherin because they are reading these books and they are watching these movies, which are through these Gryffindor glasses. And through those glasses and through Roland's eyes, you see basically it's like there is nothing redeeming in these characters. Yeah. And it's only through fandom, really, that people extrapolate and they say, hey, these are the characteristics that Slytherins are supposed to have. They're not necessarily bad. Just because the characters we see in canon are not seen in a positive light doesn't mean that the defining characteristic of what it is to be Slytherin is bad. So she, you know, my daughter has, like, gone through this whole thing where it's like her, you know, fourth child, her mother's a freak. But, um... (laughs) (laughs) Her mom's a Slytherin. Yeah. Let's not talk about it. Um, she she went to a birthday party recently, and it was Harry Potter themed, and she borrowed my robes. But of course, my robes are Slytherin. <laughs> it's okay. They put a badge over it. It was good. Um, put a badger around the. <laughs> they no. They put a Ravenclaw badge over because they uh, they artificially sorted everyone into mm-hmm. the three good houses. Let's not go there. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But Sue and I are noticeably silent. In the but you know but it is this you know there's nothing innately about being Slytherin that is bad yeah one fourth of all 11 year olds aren't evil exactly and I'm like Draco it's not but a lot of 11 year olds are as Death Rolls is writing this story you sort of see that Ron serves us not I mean they're 11 year olds come on Ron's always a snob I've thought that for years I mean (laughs) (laughs) Meg if you're listening miss you I love you but good God. But you know what I mean? So I I don't have a problem with the fact that he's seeing a different side of Draco that he's not going to see if he basically closes his mind off at the beginning, which is what this is basically showing. The change is not in what Harry did. The change is in what Draco did. Yes, because Draco didn't come off as an overwhelming snot in the first minute. I mean, he's arrogant, but he is also open. And I can see where you can say, hey, Draco is not the same character. This character is a lot more open and not as close-minded as we saw in canon. Beyond that that initial opening, I have to say, we don't really see enough of Draco in the canon, except where, Drake, where Harry has already made up his mind, for us to say whether or not this is a good characterization. Um, it's not a bad one, and it doesn't directly contradict anything we see in canon, but it neither does it go along, obviously, because it's a very different situation. I don't I have it's, a problem with that. Yeah, I think it's fair to probably say that, you know, the canon is Gryffindor lensed, and this isn't, you know, the, the, the lens-free version. This is the Slytherin lensed. 
I think right. as Mike has said. So I think it's going to, you know what it's like? It's like ever see a TV show where, you know, the two main characters get into a fender bender and they bring it to court and they ask each character, <laughs> please tell us in your own words what happened and they reenact it. And like, in, in like you know, person A's version, person B is like whipping them as they're trying to drive the car and the other version, you know, person B is trying to deliver food to the homeless and person A is like, a, I mean, it's like one of those things. It's, it's a retelling of a story from a different variation and you're going to get extremes. And you know what? I think that's fine. I think by the end of the 15 chapters tonight, I decided this isn't the story I thought, but I still enjoy it. And I enjoy it better when I try and stop wedging it into the round hole of the square story. So. <laughs> and I think that's, and that's the thing, because I sit down and I'm like, oh, they shook hands. This isn't tell what happened if, you know, Harry, you know, shook Draco's hand, and it doesn't. It's also what happened if Harry shook Draco's hand while at the same time Draco wasn't an ass while at the same time, you know, while at the same time, while at the same time. While at the same time. So I think it, it, it definitely grew on me once I made that leap of faith. So I have tons of notes to get back to, but I want to give Sue and Ray a chance because I know you guys are like the shy people and (laughs) stop it. Yelp, scream. Not so much the shy person so much as the person used to listening to it and not contributing. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) Well, I just want to say before we move on to like the next chapter, if we're still talking about chapter one or whatever... Um, the way that Draco like explains the houses, you know, at first he makes it sound like in canon, he's like, I want to be in Slytherin and he's being all ostentatious and stuff. And Harry gets turned off towards Slytherin. But then when in Death Row's version, he explains all the four houses and he says, oh, well, my brother says it's this way and such. And then he's like, Slytherin's the best house, but people don't like him. They have a bad reputation and he explains why. And then... Harry's like, oh, that's not so bad. And then the hats, you know, it goes back to the sorting hat. And the sorting hat originally asked or is implying that he would be well in Slytherin, but he doesn't want to go because he thinks Slytherin's evil. Yeah, I think think Harry as a Gryffindor was an anomaly brought on by the fact that Harry was so insistent he wanted to go into Draco's house. I think Mm -hmm. that if Harry had shut up and just gone through the sorting, he would have been a Slytherin because he had the Horcrux within him. In for yeah. many of the but... It'd probably have some sort of in-between story. Not quite this and not quite canon. Sue, do you have thoughts? I have chapter one thoughts, but I want you to get in here. No, go ahead. I was just... Um, I Mostly what I had written in my notes, you guys have just covered. I really liked the, the interesting take that they had. Although I do take offense at um, Hufflepuffs being duffers. Yes, what the hell is up with that? You have... You know, not to jump ahead, you have Hermione Granger <laughs> trying to help a, a poor, defenseless Gryffindor find his pet, and she is targeted by the, the cool kids, and she is sentenced to life in Hufflepuff without the possibility of parole. And I have to say, WTF, man, I love it in Hufflepuff. Sue and, okay. I, yeah, Sue and I decorate things in, in every, you know, Evening at seven thirty, we get together for group <laughs> hugging time, and it's wonderful in there. Like WTF, and I do get it. It was on number one. It was the only house you could put Hermione in. Story. He didn't want. He didn't want her to be a Gryffindor because I think the, the goal was to fracture the trio and to make Ron and like an outcast and to completely. Obviously, with all the Ron scenes, you didn't want to have. Um, you really didn't want to have Hermione back in the up. So you really want to change that dynamic. So that's fine. And <laughs> I think that if you if you put Hermione in in Ravenclaw, she would be like, well, thank you. So that's not really a punishment, and you can't put her in Slytherin because. She'd then you'd be stuck with her. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd actually have to write stuff with her. And so I think the only place left to stick her was Hufflepuff. 
I just want to be clear, though. They didn't do it because she was helping out. They were. They did it because she was saying, oh, you're Harry Potter. I've read all about you and blah, 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 and being all the know-it-all that they hated. It wasn't because she helped Neville. No, I think when you when you look at the whole thing, I'm, I'm glad I was able to make that leap into the fact that there's more going on here than just the shaking of the hands. Because then you could argue, you know, I'm sure Hermione pissed them off on that train. I'm sure, you know, if it wasn't insulting Harry in their eyes, it was something else. I'm surprised she ended up in Gryffindor anyway. It was Harry's suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, for, yeah, for Hermione, we're talking yeah. about, yeah. Um, so I, I was more interested in the writing of it. I didn't know because when I'm on chapter, what is it? Chapter two, chapter three. I didn't know where he was going with that. I didn't know if death roll was one of those. I hate the trio and they must die people. And he wanted to completely <laughs> to the trio. I didn't know if he just hated writing Hermione and wanted her out of the story. And I'm assuming from comments made that she definitely comes back in a big way. So I was actually, I liked that as a plot device because it's creative. It really, I've never seen, you know, a forced house sorting, you know, based on, you know, <laughs> desire to, 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 to seek revenge. So I'm like, okay, that works for me. You know, they could have killed her, so I'm glad they didn't do that. They stuck her with the Hufflepuffs, which is apparently a punishment. So, um, to the we would incident. welcome her with open arms. We would. She would be hugged so much. Like, it would be, it would be probably disconcerting for her, but. I do have some thoughts on bribing the happen with save them for chapter three and finish chapter one. I, she's, still like new, she's like the new Rinna, folks. It's wonderful <laughs> on this podcast. This is true. Um, the only other thing I wanted to just add for chapter one is let me ask you guys this question. Do you think that Lucius and Narcissa are being sincere in chapter one then? I think Narcissa is and Lucius is not at that point in time. I think Narcissa in this in his story, again, because I think he didn't have books six and seven, strikes me as sort of like the um, trophy wife with, you know, like, Oh, mm-hmm. uh, she's a little over the top, but I think that's just her personality in this, personally. Okay. Amelie, what do you think? Yeah, I really love the fact that Narcissa embarrasses Draco because that's such a an 11-year-old thing to do. Be, like, embarrassed by your mom giving you a hug. I, I love that. Um, as one, as having a child in elementary school, I totally see that happening. Do you try and embarrass your child as much as humanly possible? I totally do. I dance in public because oh. it totally embarrasses her. <laughs> My father, when I was in school, always said, bring your homework to school tomorrow. If you don't, I'm driving down to the school in my bathrobe to give it to you. I never forgot my homework. Because he would do it because he was nuts. So. <laughs> well, we've already established my daughter's mom is crazy, though. So. This is true. And, and your daughter's mom refers to herself in third-person narration. You're like Carla Howell, to those of you who are in Massachusetts. Yep. But the, the the thing was, because we don't know Narcissa very well at the point that this was written, mm-hmm. I do feel that in retrospect, Narcissa seems a little off. Mm-hmm. But from what we knew at that time, I, we just didn't know enough. And Lucius? Like, is Lucius being sincere here or is Lucius... I don't know. But the whole Narcissa being embarrassed mm-hmm. when she says, when she finds out this is Harry Potter and she's like, oh, I just, you know, like, embarrassed yeah. my son in front of Harry Potter. Now I'm embarrassed. You know, like this sort of... Yeah. The dynamic there seemed a little weird. And yeah. either it's weird because in retrospect, I don't think she would do that or it's weird because something's going on. I think it's... I- Weird yeah. as a retrospect. I think it's weird that there's something going on and she's being over-the-top actor. That's that's my take on that one for both of them. Sue, what do you think? Well, I, I think that I agree with what everybody else has said, that she's just kind of 
a little off, but I think it's because of where this came. I think that Lucius, he's being his self as his teacher. <laughs> you would never, ever, ever take a child from where they're supposed to be with the person that's supposed to be watching them, not knowing where they go. And I, in my notes, I was like, this should not have happened. Um, and then to Sue is filing a DCF complaint. Is <laughs> <laughs> Lucia such a good teacher? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and to come after Hagrid for being upset that Harry had left and he doesn't know where he is and he's you know worried about him, and Lucius is like, I can hear you yelling all the way down the street. Calm down. <laughs> I lost my I kid. Know. Leave me alone, you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's good to see you haven't lost all your manners, Hagrid, and uh, stuff like that. So that I think that there's more to him that we'll see, but it's kind of hard to. I think the problem is is that we're coming from a canon perspective, and it's really hard to trust him. Well, that's weird because, like, as I read this, I get more comfortable the more I read. But for a while there, I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't right. Why are these people acting so strangely? Yeah, I have the same thoughts, Ryan. Yeah, well, now that I've read more, I'm more comfortable with them. I still yeah. don't know completely, you know? You don't know. It's a circle, too. It's like, you know, Lucius, Hagrid, you need to calm down. Hagrid, kidnapping of a child under the age of 16. So, we have some... Uh, I, know, I thought it was good. But I, do, I did enjoy um, the fact that they brought in the plot device of Hagrid being a drunk. Because then when someone says that, what's the first thing you do? You, you check out the person and you assess for yourself, do I think he's a drunk? And knowing ha- Hagrid for 25 minutes, Harry's like, um, you may need to check yourself into the Betty Ford Clinic. So <laughs> I do enjoy the fact that I, I did like that as a plot device. Because like you said, we're, this is with the, with the Slytherin lenses on. And how would Slytherins interpret Hagrid? You know, they would interpret him as the drunk who lives in the Unabomber shack by the corner of the woods and <laughs> blows up his bed every night. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. So chapter two now? It's up to Omli. It's a, Omli is the designated showrunner of tonight's episode. Omli, have we satisfied <laughs> chapter one, do you believe? Uh, my notes say, I really, we already sort of said this, I really like Harry defending Hagrid. Yes. I mean, I really like that because if he didn't do that, I would say this characterization was completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things I loved when we covered um, Aspen and the Sunlight Sea, or like none other, was it was a Snape Harry adoption fic. So for me, that was kind of like, uh, well, basically me not making my bed in the morning. It was very out of character, you know, in my mind. Like, so when I was starting it, all I could picture is Ron and Hermione are going to, you know, become, you know, awful people in chapter one and he'll want to leave Gryffindor and he'll all of a sudden realize he was wrong about the Slytherins and it would be so out of character and I couldn't get over that and it didn't happen in the story so when you look at this story you're like uh, like every time Harry says that Draco is being a jerk you kind of cheer because you know Harry's still in there somewhere (laughs) you know that Desiree gets it and yeah it's it's, I the the scene that played very well is um, from the moment that Harry experiences the interactions between Lucius and Hagrid. He, he goes back with Hagrid, but he's pissed because he just met his first friend and Hagrid embarrassed him. And even though he may believe that Hagrid, you know, could be right on some level, you still get pissed when, when you're embarrassed. You know, you get on like dancing in the streets over here in her Slytherin garb. I mean, you, you, you understand what it's like to be embarrassed and be angry. Um, it's, it's really, uh, my fiance's boss has a nine year old son. 
and he told the nine-year-old son he was not allowed to sleep over his friend's house. And he got a voicemail from his nine-year-old son saying, I am very upset with you. Don't come within 20 feet of me tonight. I'm like, okay, he's old dressed. So <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's really believable that Harry would be very distant from Hagrid. And on the day he meets him, I definitely think that would have long-term repercussions for their relationship because it's first impressions. Mm-hmm. And consequently, he doesn't get an owl. <laughs> yeah. Hagwid. Hedwig? What the hell did I just Hag- say? Let's Hagwid. Hagwid. <laughs> I like, oh my god, it's the spawn of Hagrid and Hedwig. Oh dear. <laughs> but me for the uh, house oh hat. Oh my there. god. Yeah the, yeah, the house hat and the ass hat and the hat. Oh my god. Brain bleach. Is there like, seriously, is there rum in this coffee? What the hell? This is Danielle's attempt to sabotage Perfect Weekly. She is spiking my coffee. Um, that sounds good. What I can say about Death Roll right now is that he has given Hedwig the chance for a free and safe life. Like a long life, no fear of death. And a pure life. He a pure life. Hedwig doesn't have to make any horcruxes now. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Jen is listening to this, and Jen is with child. So let us move on to chapter. <laughs> Jen is with child. Chapter two. Yay! Uh, we're going in order. Yay! Here is my first point: owls eat toast. Owls eat toast. <laughs> they Just do like dogs can, eat chocolate. Though. Just like dogs eat chocolate. My dog loves chocolate. But in canon, doesn't the, don't the owls eat toast too? I don't remember. They eat whatever. Here's one thing I have in my notes. Vernon would never say wizard school or magic carpet, and I don't believe Harry would snap at the wizard being insulted. That at that particular point in the story, I don't believe he'd be in, he he would snap at Vernon for insulting the wizarding world. It just seems weird. Dot dot dot. P.S. tells me this is actually from canon. Joe should be ashamed of herself for that bad characterization. <laughs> so that was a point where. It's like when she in the real world would insult Shakespeare for being a hack writer, and I am going after Death Rule for inconsistent characterization. He has cut and paste from the actual novel. So I would like to say I'm an asshat. <laughs> and and to answer the question, um, yes, they do eat toast in canon. Oh, I thought you were going to say yes. Ryan is an asshat. Thanks. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, they eat toast. They eat soggy vegetables left from soup. And uh, I think they drink orange juice, too. Yeah. That's right, they do, yeah. And bacon oh, rice. to be in a union or something. They have awful work. <laughs> I'm just picturing this eagle owl eating toast. I don't know. <laughs> uh. My notes. I just have a lot of trouble believing Draco has friends. Okay, I'm getting past that. He is not Tom Riddle. Perhaps he... I don't know. I just see... You know what it is? It's like Crab and Goyle are such goons in the storyline. You pick, like, the li- like the line that was ad-libbed, which isn't from the canon, of Tom Felton looking at Crab and Goyle saying, I didn't know you could read. <laughs> like, yes. It's like, okay, you've <laughs> obviously had meaningful conversations by the fireplace. But... Um, in canon, too, though, you, you also have lines about Draco holding court among the Slytherins. Well, no, there was one so. thing about, and I have it in my notes here, from a storytelling perspective, I like the fact that, okay, we have the trio in the canon. Here's, here's two other people we're going to get down. 
I felt like there were 327 Slytherins in the story, and I was having such trouble keeping their their personalities distinct in my head. Like I, I thought Blaze was a great character. Blaze being a girl in this one, I thought Blaze was a great character. I really enjoyed Blaze. Uh, Millie takes on the, the, the Millicent Bolstrode takes on the um, the character persona of you know just you know, someone who is you know, very loyal, very friendly. Um, you know, just you know a well-rounded character and. Um, you know, Timothy not apparently not not the other or Timothy not. He was also a good character. But then there's is there like was it Jenna or Jessica and then this Pansy Pansy. There's like I, like like I'm like I was on like chapter six. I'm like who the hell is that? Like, I feel like it's like too many people in the room. So if there was anything I I um and I hope it goes forward and I hope I get a, a really good feel for the characters. I felt like there were too many Slytherins in the room and it was like I'm picturing like Draco with like a gavel trying to like. Like basically, this podcast is too many people in here. I have to. Go. The number of Slytherins is about right for yeah. canon in terms of the number of Gryffindors. It's about right, and I like that. Oh, it's it's a good number, but it would be like if in every scene in the can. The only way I can describe what I'm trying to say is like if in every scene in the canon, Ron, Hermione, you know, Neville, Dean, Dean. Seamus, they're all walking in a big clump everywhere, and they can't fit through the portrait hole because there's seven of them. Like I just I, maybe it would have helped me a little bit more, and you know who the hell cares what I think, but maybe it would have helped me. more more if it was like you know Draco, Harry, Blaze, and then you'd have like a trio. Of, I, I think <laughs> this. Was, I think this was purposely. Done. I mean, I don't know if it's purposely done, but my thoughts were that he purposely is trying to differentiate between the Gryffindor trio and then here in Slytherin. That's not supposed to be. He, you know, he's in Slytherin, so he replaces. You know, yeah. Well, no, it is, and this is, and I don't want to come across like there's something that he didn't do right in the story. Like if you watch a new TV show. And there's eight characters that you meet in the pilot. It's like, you know, when you start work and you meet everybody and you have no idea what their names are. And you, you wish everyone would wear, like, a name tag for the first two weeks. I feel like that. I'm on Chapter 15, and there's all these Slytherins. And I feel like I'm waiting for standout moments from each of them so I can say, okay, this is the character that did this. And this is the character that did this. And they're in there, but there's just so many different characters to keep track of that... I'm feeling overwhelmed by chapter 15. I'm, I'm assuming that will change as I get deeper into it. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think that, that was is maybe other Slytherins can, chi- Slytherins can chime in, but I know from another common theme I think you see in a lot of Slytherin fan fiction is this idea that the Slytherins is sort of this insular world within a world so that, you know, it's sort of, it's the wider Hogwarts world and then it's the Slytherin world. And because it's the Slytherin world, they all interact a lot. And I think what you see in this fic happen is, that Harry has a lot more friends than he did in Gryffindor, but they're not as close to him, maybe, as he was close with Hermione and Ron. Yeah. And it's sort of a different atmosphere between them. I mean, a lot of these friendships that you're seeing between the Slytherins, because it attracts these old families, they're people who grew up together. And so what you see is some of them are closer with each other than others. Harry sort of has this sort of friendship circle that he's always wanted. It, maybe it's not as close as the trio was, but he's never experienced the trio, so he's not missing anything. Um, as far as he's it's, concerned, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And it's interesting to note that with everything that Harry gains in the story, Ron is like, I'm waiting for, like, the homeless guy to, like, tell Ron he's looking pretty disheveled. Like, Ron is, like, literally... Every lifeline he has is completely disconnected in this story. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really isolates him probably in the way that, that Draco is isolated. So it's interesting to see the reverse dynamic. And again, I have no problem with Ron being the bad guy because 
when when he's on our side, I still consider him a bad guy to some degree because he pisses me off. So <laughs> that match. I think it's logical. Yeah, he'd attack Draco, and you know he'd be. And I think this is Ron also without the modifying presence of Harry and Hermione. Like this is sort of Ron without their influences on. Him. Yeah. I originally didn't like Hermione becoming a um, a Hufflepuff because at that point. I was anticipating a story that would be very canon-esque, but just show the results of one decision. And it really felt like this was Death Row grabbing his pen and saying, I don't like Hermione, let's screw her over. And it was, it was you know, the author manipulating events so wildly to, to rearrange the storyline. What I think it eventually became was a story where, you know, the characters are all going to be different. And, there, and there's going to be, you know, widespread across the board changes in, in the type of story he wants to tell. But also that Ron is now fully isolated. He doesn't have Hermione to fall back on. And, you know, Hermione can now go in a different direction as well. And, you know, where does Hermione, where does Hermione become without these boys influencing her? You know, does she you know, close up She's... and become more of a... Yeah, where does she go? What, what happens to her? So it was less... I, it was less of, you know, the author screwing the character he didn't like, and it was more of this is going to be something that comes back and this isn't a throwaway and this is going to really influence events. <laughs> I just really wish I could I, I think we're all further chapters. <laughs> <laughs> we're all biting our tongues about Hermione is what we're all doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. What the hell do you do to Hermione? <laughs> I'm like glaring at okay. the I have one more thought on chapter two and then you can get to bribing the hat. Um, yes. I love the fact that Tim Knott and Pansy Parkinson bicker. I love yes. their bickering. Their bickering makes me so happy. Like, I can't even tell you. I totally just, I can picture that happening, and it's just perfect. Yeah, it reminds me of me and my brother. That's exactly yeah. how we were like. Um, and I also yeah. like the fact that Harry is really uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff that the Slytherins are saying at this point. I mean, he's really, he's not to a point where he's convinced that the stuff that they're saying is true, and I believe that. Um, mm-hmm. I would be unhappy if he was any other way. I like the fact that he's still uncomfortable, and he's going to stay uncomfortable, and that's good with me. That's I all I have to say on chapter two, and I will let you go broad the hat now. Chapter I wanted to say this, too. On that, I think there are definitely scenes where I think Death Row gets better as he goes along. I think because I'm the person who I look for Canon Harry in there and to see how Canon Harry reacts differently. I think there's definitely, I think there was actually, and it's in here, I'll get to it as we go through the chapters. There's a moment in these chapters where I feel like Harry woke up and looked around and said, oh my God, I'm like surrounded by the clan here a little bit. Like, because they were, <laughs> you know, very anti And like, I feel like in early chapters, he doesn't do that. And I think there's moments where the characterization is a little awkward, but as it progresses, it evens out and the hiccups go away. Uh, and specifically the scene where they beat the ever-living crap out of Ron. Like, Harry's a very angry man in that scene, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. And then after that, he calms down, and, he, you know, he you know, feels terribly for, for Neville for being, you know, beat up on. And I understand Ron, you know, is an ass in this effect, but I think Harry's reaction to, you know, I don't want to call him Slytherin tactics, but Harry's reaction to violence, Harry's reaction to racism, Harry's reaction to, you know, these negative things... I think is a bit uneven and then really firms up as the story progresses. And I really, I do like where it ends up by the end of the 15th, but let's move to the, can I, I can respond to that, Ryan, if that's all right. Yeah. Sort of a general comment. What I, what I, my interpretation is, and what I think, and the people who have read can tell me if they, they agree with me, that I think what you see happening through these 15 chapters and, and on into the future is it's kind of like a two way pull. What I mean by that is that the Slytherins and their viewpoints are influencing Harry and they're rubbing off on Harry and they're turning him into a Harry that's significantly different from Canon Harry. And at the same time, 
Harry's rubbing off on them, and he's his reactions to them are pulling those characters in a direction they wouldn't have gotten Harry. And it's sort of, and the end result is you have these Slytherins who aren't who wind up in a place different from the Slytherins in canon. And you have a Harry who winds up in a place radically different from where he would in canon. But doesn't canon Harry before he arrives at Hogwarts has his own personality? And the question is, would that kid who was locked in the closet for 10 years, do we want him to be someone who still loved people when he came out? And would he, one of the things I wondered reading these is, does Harry really believe that all muggles are evil? I don't think at this point he does, anyway. Well, I know it is. We don't see Harry, we don't have Harry question himself in the narration. So it's, it's, it's interesting the way it's written. It's not, the details aren't readily available to the reader. Well, I wonder, chapter I, seven. It, yeah, it, it, well, it does come up, yeah, it does come up later in the chapters yeah. tonight. And it was weird because as I read it, I thought, okay, the Slytherins are, the Slytherin perspective is that Harry Potter is a good guy. These awful muggles mistreated him. We hate muggles just for this type of thing. They're always doing this. It was a believable reaction. We don't like him because of the muggles. And for Harry's perspective, I assume, okay, he can buy into the fact that the Dursleys were evil. He can buy into the fact that his friends are defending him. But does Harry really believe that all muggles are evil? And the, the way I kind of justified it to myself was, okay, Harry is, is tolerating this type of bigotry because, number one, they have his best interests at heart, and number two, they're using factual evidence to back up the fact that the muggles can be evil. And when he, you know, you know it's like, it's like he, he seems to buy into that, that, you know, maybe muggles can be terrible. And then later on he questions, well, I'm sure some of them are fine. I'm sure some muggles are great people. But then he goes back. So it's kind of like a weakness on his part. He's using the same information, you know, when it suits his purposes. And then when it doesn't, he kind of discards it, which is human. I'm just not sure it's Harry Potter. Well, I think he definitely, he uses, he, he uses the, the things to his own perspective, like not to jump ahead, but the rules. If you pay attention to what the rules are, you'll see at different times, he'll quote like the, the, the rule where it's like blood matters, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ability blood matters. matters, but ability matters more. And at one, in different points in the fic, he'll quote the, the blood matters and at other points he'll go, but remember ability matters more. Uh, and, and he, he quotes both halves of that when it suits him. And what I think it is, and I think it's realistic if you look at how people are drawn into racism in real life, I think at this part of the story, Harry doesn't completely buy it. But I think, doesn't completely, but there's aspects of it that appeal to him and that make sense to his sort of twisted worldview because of the Dursleys and because of sort of the limited social interaction he's had with muggles because of how the Dursleys have treated him and how Dudley treated him at school. And I think maybe as the thick goes along, he's sort of drawn more and more into it without realizing it. And I think that's human. And I think to your comment about Harry being Harry, I think when Harry, I, I think this thing you have to assume with this fic almost is that when Harry comes into this, yes, Harry is Harry Potter, but that his worldview and his political understanding and all of that stuff is still largely undecided because he hasn't had lots of social interaction with his peers, which is how a lot of that is solidified. It's, you know, who do you interact with and how do you interact with them? And Harry's had no friends, as we know from canon in school. He hasn't even really interacted with any adults besides the Dursleys and Mrs. Fig. So he's, yeah. he's still this 
socially this blank slate. Maybe it's just my own personal preference. I always saw Harry as this kid who could, like, got beat up on for 10 years but still wanted to give you a hug. Like, he, he was just inherently good character, and that's, you know, the power that the Dark Lord knows not and all that stuff. But let's even look at that. To get back to Chapter 2, you have ha- Harry arrives at King's Cross. You know, the, the Dursleys, like, kick him to the curb, and they... Just speed off, and he's got you know soot in his face, and he's dragging his suitcase, he's dragging his um his trunk behind him, and he has no idea how to get you know to the platform, just like in the canon. And the Weasleys help him out, and Molly Weasley, you know, isn't this like evil character? She's not, you know, this dopey Griffin. She's this wonderful woman who helps him out. She's absolutely canon-esque. You know, my son Ron's starting school too, and look over there's Ron, you know, smiling over at him. And just as it happened in the canon, but Draco's there too, and Draco remembers him, and Draco's you know mother sent sweets or whatever, and, and you and you have that plot line continue. You get in the train, you know Neville comes to the door looking for Trevor, you know in in the compartment, and Harry's. I I, I commented in my notes, Harry was decent to Neville, and when you get there, you know the Slytherins are normal kids. But they're not the sweet Gryffindor characters we get from the canon. They are not sweet. They are not. So they're calling each other, you know, pug face and all this crap. And, they, you know, they want, they want to assassinate. They're being, like, really, really tough kids. And you have poor little Harry who just got out of the broom closet last Thursday. And you can tell he's a little uncomfortable in that scene. And it, the one question I have, what the hell was up in Chapter 2 that everyone, like, it's like co-ed changing room. Everyone like, gets up there, so <laughs> yeah. and Harry's like, poor Harry. He's like taken by the adults in Diagon Alley. Hagrid's running around looking for him and no one can understand why Hagrid's drinking heavily in the, in the afternoon. And everyone's taking their pants off around Harry. He's like, I am uncomfortable and would like to speak to an adult I trust. But um, I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, and that, it doesn't come up again to my knowledge in the first 15. I just thought that was a little weird. But um, Every but, <laughs> keep reading. Yeah, it, it, it yeah keep awkward. reading. Yeah, here it comes. I love when Mike knows more about what's going to happen than I do. It makes me feel very <laughs> but, um But I thought that was, you know what? And, and it was interesting. And then Hermione comes in and she's bossy, which Hermione is. Talk to Melinda Leo if you have further questions. And she singles out Harry for his, you're Harry Potter. I've read 47,000 books about you just this morning. If you can believe that the Slytherins will befriend Harry because of his blood and because he's, you know, one of them or you anticipate him being one of them. You know, if you can believe that they would absorb him into this group, Hermione would piss the hell out of anybody. And if she comes in and, she, and note this, no one is staring at Harry's scar. No one, they may be conscious of the fact that this is Harry Potter. But they're not, you know, oh, look, it's the boy who lived. And that was very clear in Chapter 1. Harry likes Draco because he's not like the people at the Leaky Cauldron that you know, took place before the story started. He's not singling Harry out for being a celebrity, which is annoying as hell. It's what happens to Harry all through the canon, and he hates it. Draco isn't singling him out, and the Slytherins aren't singling him out. They may be rude people to each other, and they may be normal kids, but they're not singling him out. Hermione is, and that would rub you the wrong way if you just met her. So what I like about these scenes is the Weasleys are canon-esque, Neville is canon-esque, Hermione is canon-esque, and Harry doesn't instantly hate them all, 
but he does get annoyed when annoyance is warranted. And I think that is a helpful thing for the fic. It helps me as the canon-ass guy, you know, believe the storyline, and it also does push Harry closer to the Slytherins. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'd agree with that. Me too. I, I killed it. Omelie. <laughs> God, it does. Yeah. The only thing that I, I don't know if I didn't like it, I just, I wasn't sure what I thought at the time. And, and over the course of chapters, and this is not the first time I've read these chapters, um, but over the course of chapters, I sort of be like, eh, you know, that's the way it went. Um, I understand that she was annoying, but I felt that the Slytherin reaction was a little bit much. You know, they're like, she was so rude. I cannot believe how rude she was. And I'm just like, well, she was annoying, but I don't know that she was like rude to the degree. And then once they start like playfully coming up with like punishments, quote unquote, and like that, after that part, like that part on, I thought it was good. Um, but I just, I don't know. It was just sort of that, it was only a couple lines where they're just like, they couldn't believe how rude she was. And it was so over the top, and I can't believe she would ever do that. And I felt it was a little bit more than I thought would really happen. But otherwise, I really liked it. I liked the playful way they're sort of like, you know, the same way they banter with each other. And they're just like, you know, in this yeah. way, they're like, okay. Let's, you know, hang her from the astronomy tower or whatever. I don't really remember. But, you know. Yeah, they wanted to throw. You no, know, there was a comment in there. Let's throw her off the ast- the astronomy tower. And all I could picture is Dumbledore going flying over the side of the thing. I'm like, Actually, it was uh, feed her to the squid, throw her off the train, snap her wand to bits, and then hang her by, the, by her feet from the top of the astronomy tower. So they weren't quite throwing her off the top. <laughs> Not quite. They're yeah, well, you know what the thing is? I'm picturing n- nice little quiet little Harry who loves everybody. And, <laughs> like, he joins this group of people, and within five minutes, they're they're trying to figure out which hate crime to commit to that. You know what? <laughs> but the way they're saying it and the things that they're choosing, they're obviously, like, they're goofing around, you know? Yeah. They're yeah. not like, we're really going to do those things. And I could see what Harry said in the same vein where he's like, they're coming up with these, you know, just ludicrous things. And so he says the first ludicrous thing that comes into his head and they go, let's do it. You know? And I mean, I don't think he was like, I'm going to be a vindictive bastard and say this awful thing. You know, he was just going along with this really playful coming up with ridiculous things to do. Yeah, and that's I, fair too. I mean, the, yeah. the thing with Harry, when you think of it is that if you hang around with 11, 12 year old boys for the day, you're going to, they're not angels. And the, the problem <laughs> is, is that Harry Potter from the canon is the angelic hero who is here to save us all from ourselves. <laughs> so you're like, Oh, he, he, this is really weird characterization. He's just like I was. <laughs> It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, there was even a moment in the later chapters where Draco is like, I want to cut Ron's neck. And I'm like, ooh, he's a little pissed today. But yeah, I mean, you know, I want to, people say I want to kill you all the time. It doesn't mean they want to kill you. I mean, it, unfortunately, it's become just an expression. What I like is that it wasn't so much that he was trying to, to do the same thing as they were, is that he hoped that he wasn't sorted into the same house as her. And so he said, bribe the sorting hat to send her to Hufflepuff as a way of, because he knew that he probably wouldn't be sorted into Hufflepuff. Well, I, I took it to be that he knew she wouldn't want to be there. So yeah. it would be, you know, like, you know, put her on the night shift or something. It was like one of those things, make it uncomfortable for her. And his first reaction is, oh, God, what have I done? And and they literally do bribe bribe. I, I keep calling the sorting hat hat because that's what Jules calls the hat in the form. The sorting <laughs> hat. But um, so look through my notes. It's kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, he comes up with the idea, and all of a sudden, the idea. He comes up Thank with the you. idea, and 
she becomes sorted into Hufflepuff, and all of a sudden now, you know, the, the trio is broken forever. Ron's life is awful, all because Harry makes that single second decision. So that's pretty interesting. Um, nope, I definitely keep. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's also a sign you begin to see Slytherin influences on Harry, and in that the idea that Hufflepuffs, I mean, we, we know Hufflepuffs not. A bad place to live. It's this is the Slytherin prejudice already infecting Harry that he's that he would spit that out. He's been listening to them go on and on about Hufflepuff for the past, you know, however many hours. It's all propaganda. It's a lovely place to visit. <laughs> Hermione's well visit, off. <laughs> Hermione's the luckiest character in this story. It was a godsend. <laughs> we can go on to chapter three. Did you guys read the author's note or the one at the end about the bribing? I didn't get it. No, what was it? Um, the deleted scene thing? No, it's not even deleted. Not the deleted scene. That's at the end. We read that. It was yeah. the, at the end. It says sort of what the conversation with the hat was like. No, what was it? Um, I, didn't know that. I didn't get that one. I I, I read this off. Which where are you reading the story? I, I'm going to go grab it. I think it, because. I think that was that was moved to the missing scenes. I think on later on, like I think he like originally it was an author's note, and I think he moved it to the um, to the missing scenes when he made, wrote the, all the missing scenes together. So if you're not reading it on the web page, then you'd have it, and if you're reading it on the, the web page, which is the most updated version, it's not there. Okay, here it is. For the rest, actually, why, actually, why don't we? Do you want to hold off on that, Mike? Do you think it's better if we talk about that later, or do you think it doesn't matter? Um, well, chapter three is the starting hat. That's all we're gonna have about this chapter. No, I, I, no, the, um, the scene with Hermione's perspective during the sorting is that a missing moment? No, it's not. It, it, it is, it is, it is a missing moment. Like he moves to the missing. In the sorting hat and Hermione. Right, which is no. What I'm saying is that that in the version we're reading that comes later. Originally, he has it as an author's note. But when he when he finished the story, what Death Roll did is I don't know where you're reading the story, but on his webpage he put together an entire chapter of just missing scenes from different. Okay, no, if it's just an author's note, yeah, Amelie, um, go ahead. We'll, you can put it on, though. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. For the record, for the record, Hermione's conversation with the Storning Hat went something like this. Ah, oh, Miss Granger, you've been looking forward to this ever since your letter. What's that? You want to go to Gryffindor? I don't think that's possible. You're not terribly brave, you know. You've got a keen intellect. That's good. And plenty of ambition, yes. You really want to get to it, though. Not afraid of hard work at all. Seems to me the best place for you is Hufflepuff. <laughs> that hack can so be bribed. I just want to point that out. <laughs> can I just tell you, I, I, I had to go on a, on a field trip today at work. I had to go across the state to copy some documents. And I went with my friend from work, and we ran into her uh, her boyfriend. Um, he works in that area, so we had lunch with him. And it's the first time I ever met him. I've heard about him, and he's heard about me. And so we were, we were meeting over lunch. And I, I thought he was a great guy. He was along very well with my friend. I think they're a great couple. And so we finished lunch, and he said, Oh, no, Ryan, lunch is on me. So I want to just say this. I approve. I give my blessing. I think he's a great guy. But if you're going to buy me a grilled quesadilla, I'm yours. I can totally be bought. <laughs> so for those of you wondering what my price is, it's seven ninety five plus gratuity. That's my price. <laughs> So the sorting hat, apparently, I am cheaper than the sorting hat. The sorting hat requires you to form a, like, a choir and bow down before you. So that was actually, that was, that was, that was new. That was different, but whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't join the choir personally. I'd be like, see a sorting hat. What are you going to do now? What was up with everyone joining the choir all of a sudden? It's like everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, do whatever. All right. Yeah, I can't sing. Well, neither can I. All right. I guess I'll join then. And he's like, you know, the soprano's over here. I'm like, am I a soprano? Is there a test first? Says, I don't know. said that uh, some of them had signed voluntarily and the rest have been threatened into it. Right. 
very Slytherin tactic. It's how Slytherins join groups. <laughs> half of them join, the other half threatens the first step to get into it. I know. The, the, one thing, the one thing reading the story that kind of bored me a little bit, and it's just my preference, I don't like Quidditch scenes because <laughs> it's like, oh, look, another game. And um, I, I didn't know really where the, the choir scenes were going, so I kind of... They, did, they didn't capture my interest. And why is there... Are people laughing at me? Is this, like, the key to the story or something? <laughs> no, it's laughing. Sorry, you're just cracking up for this whole story. Like, like laughing. I should go on mute when I start laughing. I apologize. Okay, I just <laughs> want to make this clear. He's been a host for 24 hours, and he's laughing at me throughout the podcast to the point where he has to mute himself. I just want to show you, like, how it's bizarro world over here at Park. It's, it's good laughing, though. Like, I'm laughing with you, not at you. I'm not <laughs> laughing. <laughs> what you're, what you're really saying is, it's like, joking tone of voice. So they're laughing, too. <laughs> Mark's like, everybody's doing it, Ryan. You can't make fun. All right. <laughs> we just put now. ourselves on mute. That's all. <laughs> Why That's am I the mic of the podcast all of a sudden? When did that happen? <laughs> When did I become Mike? Chapter 4. I didn't really have that many notes for Chapter 4. Uh, first class with Snape. Harry thinks the class went very well because he knew the answers. I actually don't mind Harry's lack of sympathy for Ron here, as Ron is clearly enjoying Harry's squirming. A.K.A. Ron is always an ass, hence I don't really mind it when, when people know that. One thing that I was definitely saying reading Chapter 4, I wanted more from Harry's perspective. I wanted to know what he was thinking about all these things. Something I think I noticed both in this chapter and I think I see throughout the fic in regards to Snape, because this is the, I'll say it now because this is when we meet Snape, is that I think at this point Snape's still very undecided about Harry and that he's not sure whether Harry's sort of his father's son or his mother's son. And I think he's still just like in canon. He goes in ready to, you know, snap at Harry, put Harry in its place and so on. And I think, I mean, I could be reading too much into it, but I think as you read through all the chapters, this story, the next one, all of them, you see that there'll be bits when Harry goes, when Harry acts like a Slytherin or when Harry acts like something we could see maybe Lily doing, then Snape responds positively to Harry. And when Harry does something that seems more Gryffindorish, Snape responds negatively to Harry. And I think you see that in there. Like, no, yeah, the answer. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, and, the, and the one distinct difference, other than the fact that Snape isn't, you know, trying to assassinate Harry with his brain throughout the, the entire uh, throughout the entire fic, is that he refers to Harry as Mister Potter. And I feel like you can even take some of the dialogue he has for Harry in the canon and just swap it out here. But as long as he calls him Mister Potter, there's a level of respect that he uh, that he extends to Harry that you never, ever, 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 ever see in the canon. So I definitely think that was that that was a really big difference. We're, we're, we didn't have a Ward Cleaver Snape, you know, from Aspen. It's <laughs> uh, you're like no, no, which unfortunately I think pops up every now and then. But you really, really do see, you know, you don't Snape. think it'd be fitting for Snape and Harry to sit by the fire together? I don't think when they were spooning. No, I think that would be too much at this point in the story. I, I'm okay with the hate crime talk. So far, but I, I think that would probably push the story over the line a little bit too much. Gotcha. Good thing it didn't happen then. There you go. Ray, Sue, jump in. I know that Ray mentioned them briefly, but Chapter 4 is when we get the ground rules of Southern House. Oh, yeah, the ground rules. So, here they are. One, never take the blame for anything. Two, to avoid taking blame, never get caught. Three, if you do get caught, deny everything and blame someone else. Four, no member of Southern House is to maltreat any another in any way at all if there's anybody from another house watching five blood does matter ability and matters more six there is no rule six, seven. there is no fight <laughs> <laughs> seven 
seven. Slytherin does not mean junior death eater. Amen. That's all I have to say. Amen. Yes, amen. Wasn't there a rule eight? Yeah, you left yeah. out rule amen. eight. You left out rule eight. Loyalty is not just for Hufflepuff. Yay. Is Hermione Very sitting good. over in her new common room saying WTF, man? <laughs> <laughs> what did I get here? And I think these rules reflect very much, and Omni and Ray can maybe chime in, I think these rules reflect what the Slytherin subsection of fandom, how they view Slytherin a lot. I don't know if you agree with me. Yeah, um, I think so. Well, kind of. <laughs> I, I think it's how Slytherin is treated in fandom. I mm-hmm. think it's a little more focused on blame than I think about Slytherin. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, once you get to the later ones, I'm good at it. Yeah, especially the, especially the late, like, you know, not Junior Death Eater, Blood Matters, yeah. Bloody Matter, Loyalty's Not Just for Hufflepuffs. Yeah, yeah, those three. These are really good bumper stickers. Too bad they don't have cars in the Wizarding World. This could be really helpful. Slytherin's <laughs> <laughs> not Junior Death Eater. Loyalty well, is not just for Hufflepuffs. The Hey, paradigm of uncertainty, they have cars. <laughs> <laughs> they also have sex in every room of the house. We're not going to go there, though. <laughs> Just wait until year four, you know? <laughs> Just wait until year two, Ryan. Oh, God, don't go. No, no. I'm joking. Back, back, back. Back, back. back. I'm joking with you, Ryan. Don't worry. Back, 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 back. Um, Sue, I you haven't I, talked I, over I, me tonight. You're such a Hufflepuff. I'm trying. <laughs> To talk over him, or <laughs> Sue, Sue, bring something up from Chapter Four. Anything? Well, I really liked the way that the uh, prefix got together and took them all to their classes and made sure that they made it there safely and and did all of you know did these really nice things that, that I would have seen in Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> and and I want that bathroom. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's one of my talking points. Bathroom. Well, bathroom like the They've got like the heat controlled showers. Um like I picture the like the Gryffindors like they have like, you know, like just like a hole in the ground outside of the tower that they bathe in. Like and I think it's like, don't they say at one point that they had this nice bathroom because like all the rich pure blood vampires yeah. like dipped in and yeah. Yeah. I've I have to tell you, Hogwarts under Albus Dumbledore is seriously like a libertarian's dream come true because there are no universal standards. Like the Slytherins have remote control shower heads and the Gryffindors <laughs> are like they're getting a sand scrub on the ground because they can't afford water. And there's no like standard, okay, here's your Quidditch broom, have fun at the game. It's however much money you have dictates how fast you can fly in the game. Like oh my god. Like it it's not just a story. It's definitely a fandom thing, but it always cracks me up whenever you see, you know, Harry was riding on his Nimbus 2000, and, you know, the Hufflepuff chaser came up on his clean sweep version one. Meep, meep, trying to get up over the... <laughs> He's trying to take off, and he can't get any altitude, and he crashes down to the ground again. Harry got the snitch. We win 810 points to 60. Like, it's Tinderblast. I like the broom names. Is Tinderblast the name he makes up, or is that a real broom? Name. I don't remember ever hearing it. No, I don't know that I one. I think I did either. But I love how every broom in that shed was built in 1938. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But we think we just jumped ahead three chapters, but that's all. I think we did. Amelie's <laughs> getting very upset with us. All right, Sue. I hereby order you to talk over me every time I attempt to speak for the remainder of this podcast. <laughs> Why doesn't Sue start us in chapter five? Sue, go. Oh, no, no, I still got chapter four. Oh, yeah. Sue, stop. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, uh, it was interesting, the idea of Tim Draco, Pansy, Melly, and Blaze sharing tutors. 
and that um, uh, Crab and Goyle are not included in this little group. So I thought that was interesting. Right. Um, that only Draco knows them. Which explains why they follow him around in canon. Yes, it does. I, I really, well, that helps. Yeah, you're good. Um, also, in the hexing, uh, I just had a funny point. Uh, they're talking about how Draco is pronouncing it wrong. And Millie is saying, for run, not for none. For none sounds like something weird having to do with the C of E. And I swear to God, my first thought was Coven of Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to way too many podcasts. My big thing in the scene was the first years are like dueling with each other and they're raising shield charms. And in the canon, Harry's a fourth year and he still doesn't know Akio. Yeah. Like, does that seem right to anyone? <laughs> it's not just, it's, it's a lot of fan fiction. It's okay. If you're in your first year, as far as we can tell, you learned how to make feathers float. <laughs> I think the argument is that they're the pure-blood families aren't starting off with the first-year education. And you see this a lot in a lot of fanfics. The idea that part of the reason why you have a pure-blood dominance in the wizarding society is mm-hmm. that the non-pure-blood students, they can't work at home and they can't learn anything before they go to school and they're starting from scratch. Whereas all these pure-bloods, not only can they do magic over the summers, but they can also, um, you know, start years in advance studying the theories and the practicing mm-hmm. and the sort of stuff. Kevin Boyle, who did not share these tutors, are not doing the hexing. The only they're, ones they're who are doing hexed. the hexing are the ones who had these tutors prior to Hogwarts. They're including Harry, and they're letting him try, and he's doing, you know, okay, and they say, you know, you know the show's blood show's true and whatever. But really, the only people who are doing the hexing here are the people from Cured Above Planlays who also had significant tutoring in the magical arts before coming to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's true, too, because eventually, you know, many years down the line, when we start doing, in canon, when they start um, doing, like, the dueling club and everything else, you're seeing Draco do these spells that no one else has heard of. And I think that just ties back into where the fandom is getting this idea that the, these old families, they must be teaching their children this stuff outside of school beyond just what they're learning at Hogwarts because how else is Draco going to know that serpent spell? Yeah, that's true. The one line I loved in here too is, um, is a couple chapters back when I think it was when uh, Draco sent Harry his leather at Privet Drive. There's a reference in there to they're going to tell you at the end of the school year that you can't do magic outside of Hogwarts. So do all your magic now. I'm like, why yeah. wouldn't they tell you that in the beginning? Like, that's a good legal loophole. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> shoot them now! Because he wants to curse the Dursleys. I, I thought that was great, just as well, too. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can, I will certainly submit to the fact that, um, that the pure blood families with the money will have private tutors and will be a little bit ahead of everybody else. You know, especially, you know, like you said, like Harry was led into the group. Although I do. I, I did. I do find it interesting in fix. Not saying it's done badly here. It certainly isn't. But I do enjoy it in fix when you know your first year and you're like Crucio, and I'm like, huh? How's that work? You're 11. You should. You can't do yeah. that. Go away. <laughs> so that always does crack me up a little bit. And, and Harry is able to do all but two of the spells that he tries with a little practice. So he doesn't do it right away, but he is able to to get through yeah, it. Wait, let me ask you this: too. Where are they practicing? Where are the Slytherins practicing? The they sign the room. Okay, I thought I, I was afraid they found the room a requirement because they had the set left uh-huh. over from Order of the Phoenix. Or something. Okay. They said it was a room not far from the charm classroom, but it was empty. It just always cries me up, too, that, you know, Dumbledore in a staff meeting, do we know where the first-year Slytherins are? Yes, they're practicing, you know, attack spells in the unused classroom. They're arming themselves. Mm. <laughs> 
That's the libertarian Dumbledore again, though. Libertarian, live and let live, live free or die. That is, that is our Dumbledore right here. Um, <laughs> the one moment I didn't really like is, um, and you guys can definitely debate me on this one, maybe I'd like it now after talking to you, is when Harry and Millie decide to go down to, to see Hagrid. Harry, like, takes a vote. Like, should I go or should I not? And I think if Harry wants to see Hagrid, Harry's going to go and see Hagrid. And I don't know if I necessarily like him, you know, defaulting to Draco if Draco doesn't want him to go. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? He's, for better or worse, what he's doing here is he's sort of, I don't want to say becoming part of the hive mind, but sort of. He, right now, feels really unsure of himself. I mean, when he enters, you're thinking of the self-confident Harry that he gains in Gryffindor, where he's told, you know, you, you know, bravery is above all, you know, just stand up and mm-hmm. that's not the skills that are being encouraged in Slytherin. You know, yeah. he's being encouraged to stop, think, plan, don't make yourself look stupid, don't make the house look stupid or else. And so he already knows that his friends are not real crazy about Hagrid. They know his feelings and it's been pointed out several times that, you know what, for better or worse, we know what he is, we know how he is, but he's still the person who brought me to the wizarding world. I owe him for that. And, and he, he defends Hagrid there too, I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> and so he's raising it more as a point of would it be really stupid to do this? Am I going to cause problems? But he's not saying it enough. I won't do it if you tell me not to. But he's getting yeah. feedback. And you notice they aren't defaulting to what Draco says because, I don't know, they're not. Um, Draco says his piece, and his piece is actually a nay. But that does not override everyone else. And so this is not a matter of, okay, well, we're going to do whatever Draco says. So I, I think when you're thinking that, you're thinking of how we're perceiving the Slytherins in canon rather than how we're seeing them here. I agree. Well, I'm not saying I'm not really focusing my concern or my um, my comment on the Slytherins. I'm, I'm focusing them on more. I'm focusing more on Harry. The issue is Harry wouldn't take a vote in canon. Harry would take a vote here. Should I see him or should I not? And I think that that's plausible within the respective stories. I think that this Harry in this story is much less, um, he is much less independent. He is, like you said, he is more of a member of the group. It is more of, you know, of the hive mind at work. And I'm not sure I like that as much as I like the Harry from the canon who will do his own thing. He always usually goes too far and has to be drawn in by his friends because he isn't capable of doing it on his own. So I, it's less of a, you know, do I buy it? And it's more of a, do I like it thing? And I'm not sure... I like that as much. I really want to see Harry stand up for himself. I want I want to see him, you know, call people on things. And he does do that towards the end of the chapter tonight. That was just a groan for me. Okay, why is he asking if he can go and, you know, show hands, who thinks I should go? I mean, that, that didn't really work out for me. What I did like was I liked the consistency on the Slytherins' parts. And you have Slytherins now who they don't like Hagrid, they don't like Muggleborns, they have ideological issues, issues of bigotry and racism and so forth, but they do recognize that Hagrid took Harry away from those awful Muggles, and they do recognize that that was a good thing, and Hagrid serves credit for that good thing. And I think that counts for something. I think that if you're going to go with that storyline, and you're going to really focus on, you know, the issues with Muggleborns and, and, you know, distaste for Muggleborns and, you know, have ha- Harry sign off on that for a little bit, you you have to recognize that Hagrid took him away from that and Hagrid deserves credit. Yeah. I can see why you might, you wouldn't like it. I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. 
And I think Omni hit a point, um, which I think will get repeated again and again in these first chapters, when she said that different things are being stressed to Harry. And what's being stressed to him here is that you're supposed to work with the group, that you're not, that only, you know, stupid people in Gryffindors are brave and charge in and do things without consulting and planning. And so he's having like a certain set of ideology. And I think you see that later on when Harry, not to jump ahead too much, but just when Tim's doing something stupid later on, and Harry's like, mm-hmm. we're acting like a Gryffindor, you know, and this is, this is the sort of thing that's being hammered into him. And it's affecting how he reacts. And it's making him react in ways that seems maybe a little unnatural at times to us. Yeah. Well, and Harry does stick up for himself here. You know, he he puts it out to the table. I've been invited to tea. Um, And so then Tim asks in a very kind of disinterested voice, so do you intend to go? And Harry hears the seriousness behind the casual tone and says, Haggard was the one that rescued me from those muggles. For that alone, he deserves my goodwill. And they all kind of mull that over. And Melissa says, Harry's right, you know, no matter what. And then they kind of talk about it some more. And Harry says, well, should I go? And there's kind of a yay and an nay. And it's decided that, yeah, if Harry wants to go, then he can go. And, and that's when they decided that the two will go. I'm guessing it's the part that bothers Ryan. The Yes, we, they're them giving permission to Harry, I'm guessing. Is what- yeah, it's like, you know what it is? It's, it's exactly the thing I was saying before. If When I was reading the story, I was looking for Ken and Harry in there somewhere and to see why he would make different decisions based on his friends. I can't see Ken and Harry being the type of guy who's like, okay, guys, what do you think I should do? Because I, is it plausible he'd do that? Yeah. Yes, I don't want to see him do that. I want Harry to be independent and, and, and pig-headed and stubborn. And that's why I try and justify, okay, if they are so obviously distasteful of Muggleborns, why would he want to be around them? You need to justify that. So you justify that by saying that he interprets Muggleborns as he interprets his aunt and uncle as not good people. And he's closed-minded and he's narrow-minded. I mean, I, I look for... I'm an HG shipper. I'm a canon shipper. I'm someone who enjoys the canon stuff and I want to learn new things. I want to try new things and try different types of stories. So in this one, I'm looking for my Harry in there somewhere and seeing how he reacts in this different environment. That's just something you don't see Harry do. You don't see Harry... You don't like to see Harry be just one of the guys. And you don't like to see Harry be almost like Goyle. Oh no, what do you think I should do today? And I felt like at that moment he was being like that. Although I certainly don't think that by the end of the chapters for tonight. I definitely... The way... To jump ahead a little bit. The way that he defends Neville. And... Mm -hmm. The way that he he almost defends Hermione. The scene where the, the Slytherins... Well, to, to, because we're not going to be going all night tonight, let's to even break out the chapters a little bit um, ahead of schedule here. You see four main events in these chapters. You see Neville at the Quidditch practice in the, in the incident with the Rememberal. You see the attack on Ron by the Slytherins. You see the bullying of Hermione by the Slytherins, and you see the bullying of Neville by the Slytherins. The, Sly- the Slytherins seem to do a great deal of bullying in these chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All of you people around me, you people who say it's not the Slytherins or not Junior Death Eaters, they are tormenting half of the houses of Hogwarts at all times. But, you know, whatever. Your interpretation, not mine. So, I'm, so I'm looking, and you see a, a real progression f- you know, of Harry through those. You see, you know, the scene where, where Neville loses the rememberal to Draco, and Ron intervenes trying to stick up for Neville, and you see, you know, unfortunately Neville, like, you know, nearly kills himself on his broom. 
Harry only makes a snide remark against Neville when he knows Neville will be okay. He said he makes like the "Don't let this happen to you" while you're you know riding a broom joke, which is fine. And you see the plot point of the midnight duel come up. You know, as a result of the whole thing. You know, Ron looks at the rememberal. Harry doesn't have it, and then it turns out that Snape had it the whole time and used it in class, and you know, made it look like Neville lost it. And I like that point too because then Harry realizes that Snape lied because Snape obviously had it, but said he didn't have it. And I like, I wanted to really see Harry's perspective there. I really wanted to see Harry, why, what does Harry think, you know, Snape lied? Does he think that's fair? Does he not think that's fair? I would, I would like to get a little bit more from Harry there. And then you have the Midnight Duel plotline come up, and you have Ron and Seamus obviously not show up. And then you get to a scene where they, where the Slytherins gang up on Ron and Seamus, and they, like, pummel them with curses to the point where they're on the ground, like, crying, and Ron's, I'm sorry, and Draco spits on Ron, and, you know, and, and it's this awful moment. And Harry is, like, so pissed that Ron calls him a liar. Harry is, like, caps lock Harry from Order of the Phoenix on steroids. And my only thought reading that was, you're having a very bad bad reaction to this. Like, okay, you're angry. You're committing a hate crime. But Harry didn't shoot at Ron. Draco did all the shooting. Which, but you know what that is, too? I think it's a feed-off thing. It's that he's feeding off the emotions, which is like a normal human reaction. He's in the middle of, like, like you said, like a, like a hate mob, and the, the emotions are, you know, he's being feeding off it, basically. It's building him up. Not to mention all of his exposure to them. And well, Which is true, but Ron called him a liar. And, and they're going to kill him. Like, it's, I guess, it, it was a very, very severe reaction. And it, it's not really addressed again. And I know Harry doesn't take part in the attack. And, and you know, it, it came across through the writing, it's more than just getting beat up at school. It's like, reminds like me it's, it, it reminds me of, like, if you're, if you're a prisoner of war, <laughs> like, it was very graphic. So you know what it actually, you know, seriously reminds me of from canon? It reminds me of what Harry and the Gryffindors do to Draco when they, um, what is it, book five, I think it is, when they curse oh. him, he walks in and they, and they beat him up totally and they leave him, like, staggering around for his mother to find. Oh, yeah. Y- when yes, they double-hex um, him on the train. Oh, Mike, yeah. I have notes on this very point, my friend. My, oh. the, the, it, it was a direct comparison to what the Gryffindors did to the three Slytherins at the end of... What, was it order or was it goblet? Order, goblet. I forget where. I think, I think it's order. I could be wrong. I think I think it's order. Um, the difference would be one of them is I am assuming that I can't remember. I don't remember if it was self defense or not. I'm, I'm sure there was some type of self defense angle in there too, but it's somewhat of a fair fight. And they incapacitate you know the Slytherins and they embarrass them and then they go on with their day. You know, this was not a fair fight, and it wasn't like, you know, they took you know, the, the Gryffindor's wands and they shot them once. They shot them like 117 times with curses at point-blank range until they were crying, and then they spit on them. Like, it was, like, very... Like, the, it wasn't that... It's like that a Slytherin version of that, basically. It's a Slytherin... No, no. The Gryffindors <laughs> were not that bad. They were they not were that bad. bad. They're, bad. They're pretty bad a couple of times, too. I mean, they but, shot them and they <laughs> stuffed them into a closet. What, 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 like, yeah, what about the time where the kid almost died? Because they shove him in the closet and they don't tell anyone, and he's sitting in there. What, what do you mean he almost died? There, are you saying there was insufficient airflow in there? Like, what is so fluid water? He was in there for days. No, okay, no, he was in the vanishing room. cabinet for days. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Vanishing cabinet. 
was there for okay, a long time, a, I think. That was, yeah, he was just gone for. Like, don't tell anyone. They I walk never away. Thought about that. <laughs> he was actually gone for a couple of years. Was well, it's like Hagrid the drunk. <laughs> my eyes are opened now. I'm like, oh my god, they're all such unfit, like capable. Not only do they shove them in there, but Harry knows they should, and they don't tell the teachers. They just walk around. This guy like never comes out of the vanishing cab. <laughs> Did he ever come out? Actually, by the end of the story, to be ever fine, Montague. <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah, they found him in a toilet. Rico says later on that he, he knows this Vermont. He was in there for like days until he desperately barely managed to apparate out, even though he didn't know how to apparate as like a last self defense sort of thing. So, you know, the kid almost me, died being stuff. Remind me, I can't even remember the damn thing. Like, how did he end up in there? Remind me of the plot. Point. He tried to take points off of Fred and George, and Fred and George shove him in the vanishing cabinet as a response. And they tell Harry, they tell the trio what they do, and they laugh about it. And he just never comes out of the vanishing cabinet. No one tells any teacher what happened to him. Everyone just like leaves this kid in the shit cat that goes on with their lives. And like days later, he manages to apparate himself out before he dies of thirst. Yeah, he's in a diabetic coma, unfortunately. Oh, and the God. reason, and part of that, or the reason that Draco comes and gets Snape, and that's when, I think, that's when Harry finds the pensive memories. And there's, also, Snape- there's other examples, too. Like, um, like, like, for instance, now this isn't the nice thing Draco does, but Draco, when Draco's making fun of Harry's parents, and uh, and Harry and the twins jump on him and start pummeling him half to death. I mean, yes, he's being a total snob, but he's not attacking them, and they beat him half to death before they get pulled off him. So there's plenty of examples of Harry and Gryffindors, and they and the worry they don't spit on them, maybe, but of them just like pummeling the Slytherins and then like walking away and never thinking about it again. I still thought that the writing was a little bit extreme on this one case. It wasn't, you know, they defeated Ron or they took his wand or they knocked him out. It was like ten minutes of like you're held down and like it's the equivalent of being like tied to a chair and being beaten for 10 10 minutes is a long time while you're crying and screaming it seemed more like a prisoner of war situation than it in your death eater yeah it, it was a little it was it was very graphic it was like Ooh. i have to say i really really liked uh the whole sub thing where uh snape finds them covered with hexes and so he's like rubs mm-hmm. his hands together he's so excited and he's like <laughs> we've obviously <laughs> been fighting with each other exactly so i'm going to punish you more <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was. So it was like I was. Wa- I was wondering at some point, does Death Roll just like? Are we looking to see how far he can push Ron before Ron jumps? Like, okay, we've taken away Harry. We've taken away Hermione. He's been beaten to death by Slytherins. Now he got a detention for it. Nobody <laughs> likes him. He's lost four thousand points for Gryffindor. You know, everyone is in the Glee Club, but him. Like, it's like down the line. Like, I'm waiting for him to become a raging alcoholic, and he's, like, 11 years old. Like, it's it's not it's not going very well for, for poor Ron. And I was wondering, like, how far can we push him before he snaps? And I haven't discounted that yet. I have to let you know I have not discounted that. Is that a prediction we can hold you to, that Ron snaps? I don't... I can't tell if he's going to snap or if he's going to be as one-dimensional as Draco often was in the canon. Like, if he's going to be the stereotypical bad guy. I can't tell. But one thing I do like, I just want to say this because I forgot, I do like how Death Roll refers to all of the Slytherins by their first names and all of the Gryffindors by their last names because it's the complete mirror of what canon is actually like. You wouldn't call her Hermione, you'd call her Granger. You wouldn't call him Ron, you'd call him Weasley. I just thought that was, it was a little thing, but I thought that was a cool touch. 
I agree. Let's see. Let's see what else we have. I'm gonna go with your notes, Ryan, because they're better than my notes. Can I say stuff about chapter five? You can say whatever you want about anything. I'm gonna go for it. See, how much do we see in canon about astronomy, other than the fact that it's up in the tower? I did not never actually see it. No, absolutely nothing. I don't really remember it, and I'm like, oh, there's a lot more of the astronomy tower in this. Um, I Sister <laughs> in her, um, you know, need for godly hours of the morning, and. You know, I could totally see that. I like that. Um, well, it's me at work every day. I walk. I can I just tell you, I carry a mug of coffee with me everywhere. We just have a one-hour meeting at work, where as we're trying to cut back in these difficult times, someone suggested getting rid of the free coffee. Everyone in the room <laughs> turned around and looked at me because I was the only one in the room with a coffee mug in my hand. <laughs> You're drinking coffee now, aren't you? Yeah. Actually, well, I drank the coffee. The coffee is over on the table, but if there was a refill available, I'd probably have it. Um, Well, no, no, the thing is, I'm such a slow sipper of coffee that I, like, take a sip, then I have to go and heat the coffee. Then I take a sip, then I have to go and heat the coffee. And people see me walking out of the kitchen with coffee all day, but it's the same (laughs) cup of coffee. Like, I've been drinking it for three days. Ryan, you can get a little thing that you plug in and put on your desk, and it'll keep your coffee warm for you. Yeah. Hey, Sue, I, I have one of those. And then what would happen is I would call my coworkers at 5.30 on a Friday. Are you still at work? Turn the heat plate off on my desk. I left it on. It's a long weekend. And then I, like, Google the address of my office all weekend to see if it's burned down. <laughs> because it's like, I don't want to, because it's so embarrassing. And then I call my boss, and I'm like, I need you to turn off the coffee warmer. Don't worry, I got it. I'm going on vacation. You promise? I promise. I come back from vacation. It's still on. Like, so. Nice. So, Ryan, I was going to make a comment on something you touched on briefly earlier, which was the um, the Neville, when they start picking on Neville, and then Harry jumps in and stops them. And I think this is important for two reasons, one of which you touched on, which is it's Harry asserting himself and showing that, you know, there's certain things that he's not changing overnight into, like, a carbon copy Draco or a junior Death Eater. There's things he doesn't approve of. But I think the flip side of that, too, is I think this is an example of how Harry's going to start influencing the Slytherins through the whole thing. Because not only does he stop, does he voice his displeasure, but he's getting Draco to agree to leave Neville alone, which is something I think not only would not, wouldn't can Draco do, but this is something the Draco at the start of this Draco at the start of this story would never do. Yeah. And so just like we're seeing Harry being influenced and doing things he normally wouldn't do, we're going to start seeing the Slytherins influenced the same way. I enjoy the way that Harry did that because it was almost like he found a legal loophole <laughs> and he yeah. brought Draco to the Supreme Court and they realized that they were Rule seven. like Article 5 of the Constitution <laughs> so they had to stop they had to stop picking on any purebloods um, it was a really interesting one thing I to connect your comment a little bit um, to chapter 6 chapter 6 was the moment in the story where I felt like Harry as a character kind of like woke up and he's like, oh my God, you people are like racist. What are, what are my thoughts on that? And I'm like, Harry, why weren't you thinking about this in chapter two? And I was wondering what you thought about it, but you know, better late than never, buddy. I really appreciated um, some of the stuff that, or most of the stuff that Death Row put into chapter six. And he won, he's trying to figure out the, um, where he's coming from and where his friends are coming from. And he, he can't figure out why Ron hates him. He can't figure out why Ron instinctively hates Slytherins. He doesn't instinctively hate Gryffindors. And he doesn't instinctively hate Muggleborns. But he does, you know, really hate the Dursleys for what they did to him. So he even thinks to himself, you know what? You know, the Slytherins can tell you why they don't like Muggleborns. And there's this great scene with Blaze, who I think is a great character in this, you know, even for being a girl. <laughs> Which I don't mean to say I don't like girls, you know what I mean. 
but you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, you no, live with a girl, don't you? <laughs> I, I believe I may. I'm looking around here. I don't. I don't. Do I, have, I, ever, I don't know if I've ever talked about that on the podcast. I don't really want to get into it for the first time. Yeah. Well, but, if you want to um, go head to head about how living with a girl is different than living with three boys. <laughs> oh, well, I actually live with two girls, so I'm halfway there. And technically, girls are twice as bad as boys. So I'm living with as many as four people right now. But the going to get into that. What? You want a shovel? You can keep digging yourself deeper. <laughs> I really thought. I you're back, Brian. Someone else in the room, and she's like, "Do you need a shovel?" I'm like, "Oh, she doesn't know we're talking." She's like, "I'm talking to you, you asshat." I'm like, "Oh, okay, never mind." Um, okay. I'm gonna completely ignore everything I just did that screwed myself and get back to the story for a moment. I really did like that Harry was like analyzing bigotry essentially, and he's like, "Look." The Slytherins can tell you why they hate the Gryffindors. The Gryffindors have no earthly idea why they hate the Slytherins other than the fact that they're Slytherins. And I didn't quite... And I liked that he even said, do I hate all... He, he even drew the attention to, to the Muggleborn issue. I'm sure there's, you know, Muggleborns out there that aren't bad people. I know them. I know some who aren't, but I, I'm not discounting the fact there are good people out there. I like that Harry was at least acknowledging that even though I would have liked a lot more um, on that issue. I would have liked a lot more on that characterization. Um, what are you going to say about Blaze? You were saying that before we got off track. Yeah, like, even Blaze has that great moment where Blaze is a very, um, very personable character, and I, I like the interaction Harry has with Blaze. Even Blaze says, look, you know, Muggleborns almost screwed over the Wizarding World. Muggleborns had done some very bad things. I can't help how I feel, and I'm not a bad person, but I just feel this way. And I'm like, and I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, that reminds me of the blaze from Melinda's fic that we just covered. You know, I, I just don't think that Muggleborns should be allowed at Hogwarts. And, you know, I live in Massachusetts, and we've had the gay marriage issue in Massachusetts, and there's many people who feel that it's marriage should be totally equitable regardless of your sex. And there's some people who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And even if you have many gay friends and want them to be happy and, you know, so on and so forth, people feel that it, that right should be extended. It doesn't make them, you know, evil bastards. It makes them someone who believes in something. So I, I think that's, I like the fact that the Slytherins are humanized. And I like the fact that Harry doesn't quite know where he stands. That's a good way to do it. You know what I mean? It, you need to address that issue, I think, t- to have the story be believable and to have me feel like this is still, you know, Harry Potter. I think that's a really helpful thing. And I think that when you have that in place, when you look at you know, how he responds to the character, I think when you have that in place, how he responds to Hermione then is, a, is something to definitely pay attention to. Hermione is, you know, tr- is terrorized by the Slytherins, and her response is like everyone who's 11 who's being picked on. Leave me alone. You know, I've never done anything to you. Why are you so mean to me? You should just leave me alone. Harry doesn't stick up for her, but he's troubled by the way they treat her. Mm-hmm. And he know and he doesn't like her, but he doesn't think she deserves that. And it bothers him. And he rationalizes it. He says, okay, you know what? She'll be stronger for it. I was stronger for being bullied. And I was bullied a lot more than her, and I still came out okay. It's not until he can't rationalize it that he acts with Neville later on. That's the point, when he can't rationalize it. When their logic fails, he stands up. And I guess the only issue I'd leave you with is, do you think Harry Potter is the type of person that rationalizes everything? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think so, but... Yeah, Harry, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think it goes back to the difference of... 
And I think maybe part of it's um, nature versus nurture. I think this is very much that it's his exposure to the Slytherins that are shaped, that's shaping his personality a great deal. And that as a result, this Harry, not just, it's not just the actions around him, but this Harry himself is going to be, and it's starting already, and it's going to be more so as it goes on, is going to be different than the Harry from canon because of this change. And Harry himself is going to be changing as well as the events around him. You don't have to agree that's realistic, but I think that's one of the core, I don't know, philosophies of this fic. Don't look at me, guys. I've been talking for half an hour. You're <laughs> all you. Y'all got real quiet. <laughs> yeah. Your um, careers. To, yeah. All, you, all you guys. <laughs> okay. Everyone's quiet. You guys jump in, guys. Jump in. So I'm going to talk about something like not related to anything we've been talking about. I was reading your notes, Ryan, and I see Mm -hmm. Snort Draco saying, I'm conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) There were were definitely lines in there. And I like the fact that Harry is like, okay, I've been tired before, but Harry is like dragged from bed, dragged down the hallway. I'm picturing his like chin hitting every step on the way down dragged into the shower and like shot with water and only then does he start to wake up i'm like bs there's absolutely no way every kid who has ever like fallen asleep in the car on the way home and they get carried into the house by their parents every kid wakes up in the way it's it's a universal guarantee but i like that i'm conditioning and i'm like you know what i thought your character has been yeah it's like i thought your character was was somewhat inconsistent through the story but if you're conditioning i'm okay with you and there was another line too there was, there was, and like, I want to make this very clear. Like, I'm a tough critic. I don't, I, like, I've been criticizing Joe Rowling's characterization in this one, but, and I truly am enjoying the read. And once I realized the type of story, I was expecting something else. So when I understood what it was, I was, I was much happier with it. I'm filibustering here while I'm looking for a particular line I wanted to read. While you're doing it? While you're doing it, go ahead. Um, Snake speech to the Slytherins uh, the first years in Chapter 5. I know you've been informed of the unofficial rules of Slytherin House. I trust you to follow them. We encourage you to think here and to make informed decisions. Ensure that you have a good reason for doing the things you do. Those who act without thinking will suffer the full brunt of my sarcastic wrath. Those who embarrass Slytherin House will suffer a fate worse than death. Those who embarrass me personally will be tied to a chair and forced to watch Muggle religious television. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. (laughs) And Harry starts laughing because he's actually the only one in the room who's watched Muggle religious television. And he even says that to Snape, and Snape is like, who are you? I also, oh, sorry. I also really enjoyed in uh, chapter five uh, when we, it's the first chapter where we really get to see the potions lab, and I know his potions lab is a little different from what we see in canon, but I just love the fact that you can see um, Deathrolls science background here, and he's talking about hot plates and thermometers and glassware, and you know, I'm like, I can tell you've worked in a chemistry lab, and it just, I love it. Um, yes, I think Deathrolls works in a real yeah, lab. Yeah, yeah. And so I really enjoyed his description of the potions lab in chapter five because you got this little hint of, hey, someone works in a chemistry lab. <laughs> 
I never thought of that, but I think, yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, can I just say the character of Goyle? Obviously, Goyle's character is not the Goyle from the canon. Obviously, he's been heavily edited and changed around a little bit. But can I just tell you, I love Goyle in this, because he's, you think he's the stupid idiot, but he's just the quiet one, who may be simple, but, you know, he, he knows what needs to be done. And there's actually a line in here where he is trying to explain, because there's this big, as you remember from the canon, I'm not sure if you've read it, Harry Potter came out about ten years ago, and it became a bestseller. There was this plot line where um, they didn't know who the bad guy was, and it was actually Professor Quirrell, but they didn't know, they thought it was Snape. And in this version of the story, it's either Snape or Quirrell, and they don't know. And Goyle is attempting to explain what happened when he noticed that both Snape and, and Professor Quirrell were, were trying to jinx Harry's broom. They were both speaking curses at the same time. This is Goyle attempting to explain it. I saw Snape go mothery, mothery. And then I saw a quarrel go mothery, mothery. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, th- thanks for stopping by. And there was, and there was actually, uh, this line of dialogue was actually in the story. And it is for that that I basically will read anything the death will rise because I just think it's terrific. This is, this is Goyle. This is Goyle thinking this. If there was a man of action, his name was Gregory Goyle. Just think about that for a second. If there was a man of action, his name was Gregory Goyle. Like, he's the one that eats the cupcake in Chamber of Secrets and gets locked in a broom closet without any clothes on. Think about this for a minute. I just thought that was a, I thought that was a really great line. Um, there was another... I like your note, too, where you say, Crab, or was it Goyle, is great at astronomy. Uh, he's only three-dimensional in the middle of the night when we can't see him. Exactly. Like It's, it's like, you know, the guy, he, he, oh, he's always in the other room when he does that amazing thing that you've never seen through the entire... I just thought that was great. It's like, how do you make Goyle three-dimensional and same character? It's like an impossibility. It's absolutely not possible. The line I'm looking for is the line when everyone gave out Christmas gifts to each other. It's Pansy and Tim. Does anyone know the line I'm talking about? It was in the later chapters. Is it the one you put in your notes where it's uh, something like Lick My Cauldron or something like that? No, Lick My Cauldron was just... You know, sometimes you think these are the Gryffindors just with the word Slytherin written in front of them. Then when you see Lick My Cauldron, you're like, no. Oh, that reminds me of the, um, the insult. I think it was on the train. They called She called him a muggle licker when he gives up. <laughs> <laughs> muggle licker. <laughs> That's not right. Come on, muggle licker. Uh, um, where is so, all right, the there's one look- here. Is it where they're hexing? <laughs> Let me find out. Language? No. That was one thing I didn't like. At one point, um, I think it was uh, someone swore, and Pansy's like, language. I'm like, yeah. okay, number one, you just called someone like a muggle licker. You're not going to care what the language is. Number two, stop trying to be Hermione. I don't know. I think she's just being snarky. Snarky's I'm- fine. What do you think of... Yeah, I find that difficult to believe. <laughs> I know you didn't like the Quidditch team, the Quidditch scenes, Ryan, but what do you think, I guess, of, I don't know, Marcus Flint and the way Harry's introduced onto the team? And the fact that there's tryouts, which there weren't tryouts for him in Griffith. Oh, I, I definitely don't want to imply I didn't, like, like it for whatever reason. It's like, I just get bored during Quidditch. Like, I, like here's the thing. I'm going to admit this. I'm a political geek. I don't really understand baseball very much. Like, I don't follow it. So when the Red Sox were just in the playoffs, I was having Danielle trying to explain it to me. But, like, can, like explain it to me using politics as an example. She's like, okay, Florida is usually very bad. I'm like, uh-huh. 
this year they're very good. Uh huh. So it's kind of, you know, so it's it's very odd for people. I'm like, so it's kind of like Dennis Kucinich just won the nomination for president. She's like, yes. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I, I I don't want to make it seem like it was badly written. I just don't do sports very well. Um, was I it the battlements, about- Ryan? Throw yourself what? off the battlements. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just confused. What? <laughs> you no, I, like, I found the spot where they're talking, but yes. I'm not sure if it, this is the, the one that you're oh, looking Oh, okay. For. Okay, thank God. You're answering a question I already asked like 10 minutes ago. Okay, what was the line this time? I was on a mission here. Um, <sighs> girls arrived at that point. Harry immediately became the center of attention. When Draco and Tim had filled them in, they were two were thirsty for revenge. Um, we don't let this go, she said in an iron voice, and I want to hex him myself. This is about Hagrid, I think. Um, we're all going to get a turn. How did he find out? He must have found the letter. Uh, said wrong. Tim cursing. Language pansy reprimanded him. Go throw yourself off the battlements. I don't no, know if that's what you were looking no, for or not. It, it wasn't that particular one. It was... So many times and they bicker. No, it's right here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my this is my favorite line. My favorite line. Tim had given pansy a bunch of dead flowers and a valentine made from black parchment with a poem written in silver ink citing ten ways he'd like to see her die. It was as close as Tim ever got to expressing affection for her. (laughs) I just think that's the most terrific line in the entire fic. I don't know why. It's like, okay, we're used to, you know, Hermione and Ron, you know, and, and there's all this sexual tension in the air. For these two, it's, I hope you die a painful and horrible death. And her response is... Like it's just like, like it's, I love it. That was hysterical. But um, on Marcus Flint, just to get back to the question, I thought that Marcus Flint. You know what? It's like what well, I was just saying with Goyle. How the hell do you humanize awful people and, and and like them? Like I thought Millicent rolling around on the floor with with Mister Hagrid's dog Fang was a little weird to start with. Because I'm like, really, Millicent Bolster? Don't you look like a pig? Like it's like I can't picture this. Well, she likes animals in canon. Well, they describe her as pig-like in canon. Um, she she, she cat. Who's the Who's the one that likes the unicorn? Who's the slither that uh, like really wants to go pet the the animals, but she's holding herself back? Is that Mill? Is that her or is that Pansy? Is one of them really wants to pet unicorns? Oh, really? Oh, uh, did they see unicorns in canon? Or what is, there's some yeah. animal that Hagrid shows them that's really good looking, and she really wants. And, and, ha- and Harry remarks that she looks like she really wants to run forward and pet and like hug the animal, but she's holding her. Was it back? Was it Bucky? Maybe. Uh, I don't yeah, it was probably horns. It was one of the animals. Probably playing does unicorns, and then Hagrid continues on after he comes back to work. The baby one. Maybe. I can't remember. But anyway, there is a scene um, where one of the Slytherins does that, and I think it's hers, which that might be where he's getting it that from. Okay. Well, if, you know what? If that's in there, that's great. And that was one of the things I was saying earlier. I was having difficulty with there being so many Slytherins because I feel like I couldn't stay with one Slytherin enough for them to make an impact. Millicent came across as the one who liked to play with Fang, and she came across as, you know, just a really um, good friend, which was interesting because you really just. It, she doesn't come across that way at all in canon, which, as we've said earlier, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that, um, like, the character of Marcus Flint, you know, is well known in the canon as being, you know, the biggest idiot ever, because apparently he was in Hogwarts for, like, 17 years because Joe got the math wrong. Um, if he is anything like the character that he was shown as in the first movie, uh, he has, like, teeth growing out of his chin. He's so butt ugly. They do um, say that he's ugly. 
Yeah. Well, I like that. He's very ugly. He uses the expression Cheerio, which I think is great, considering you have teeth growing out of your chin. Um, but he also is a very effective captain. When when Harry is falling off his broom, uh, you have Marcus Flint like setting up like a defensive perimeter around Harry to protect him. And he is he comes across as a very good guy to Harry. And I like the fact that they give him that extra dimension. I think all of the Slytherins get some extra dimension in this. And what was the other question? You would, you would ask something else. You would ask about Quidditch and you asked about something else I thought. I think I said the the tryout system, which they don't have in in the, in the. Yeah, I mean that was fine. I mean we both knew, everyone knew Harry would get it. I like the line where he's like, you know what? I, my arm just fell off. Being reserve seeker isn't that bad. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. I thought that was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, my if if I had any complaint about the chapter so far, it's like things are going too well. It's like they're crushing everyone, and they're they're hitting everything, and all their classwork is, is is three weeks ahead. And I'm hoping in the chapters ahead we get a little bit more conflict between the characters with the characters. Things doing well, especially when things shake off and they're not like the main plot from the first book. Well, here's a question for everyone. Actually, who was your favorite non-Harry character in this story? So far. On what? Who's your favorite non non character besides Harry? I like Blaze. Blaze. Well, I'll say I I like. I'm a dream. Ray's like, I'm not speaking. I refuse. Um, I just don't know. I'm a big Draco fan, and at this point in the story, I wasn't really a big Timothy Knott fan, but as the story progresses, he maybe, he becomes my favorite, maybe as much as Draco, even. Maybe more than Draco, even. Well, he's the dumbass that wants to go kill a mountain troll. I mean, at least Ron and Harry in the original version would try to save her mind, and he's like, oh, I think that sounds like fun. I mean, that was the, thing that got me. the one scene I don't like, actually, because, or at least... It seems, we're only on chapter 15, but that bit that he does is seems totally out of character with what he becomes later on in the story, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I do, one thing I do like very much in the story is, you know, the Slytherins don't want to, they don't like adventure. They like calm. They like resource, you know, <laughs> conservation. And you you see in the canon, there we must find Nicola, Nicholas Flamel, and we must crack the secret and save the world. And this one, they're, they're like, yeah, can we just like you know play Quidditch on fifty three year old brooms? I mean, I like that. I like the fact that they're Slytherins. They think a little bit differently. Harry thinks a little bit differently because he's one of them. And yeah, I mean that that was a little awkward. Where even after you know they go off and they they defeat the Mountain Troll, Snape tells them if you ever act like a Gryffindor blockhead again, you know. I will be your mortal enemy. I mean, that is a good scene to have in there. Um, but as for my favorite character, definitely, definitely Blaze. Blaze. I don't know why. On some level, she seems like a, she should be a Mary Sue, but I don't read that from her, and I can't tell if that's just because I like the character and I convince myself I like the character. She's so decent to Harry, and she really personifies very well a character who is both bigoted and tries to be logical at the same time. And if you do that, I think you try and be fair, even if you don't make it. And I just, she has personality where I feel like the other characters don't yet. She, she has a lot of personality to her, so. Ray, pick one. What? <sighs> uh, <laughs> Sacrificing. Where are we in point? I'm like, you're so nonlinear. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of get lost as to what chapter we were on, too, but I don't okay. remember what happened point, in any it chapter. Gonna 20, it was going to take us 27 years to finish. We broke. Okay, that's fine. Well, here's- um, okay, here's my thing. In chapter 12, I love the self-warming charm and all the Gryffindors. You know, it's December. All the Gryffindors are down in the dungeons, and all the Slytherins are like, ha-ha. 
you know, because they know the secret. We live here, our turf, home court advantage. <laughs> exactly. I loved it. <laughs> um, I also I thought love- the Christmas thing was handled really well um, because... It, it, it did, I like the fact that Death Roll really nipped in the bud all this really early. The whole thing where I hadn't even gotten to that point of saying, hey, well, Harry Potter could go to Malfoy Manor. I hadn't even gotten there before he was starting to address that. And I thought that was good because that was going to become a huge deal. I mean, great. Harry's got these friends. You know, now he can finally get away from um, the Dursleys. He doesn't have to, you know, he can have this whole other avenue that wasn't open to him before. But if, if that happened, I think the story would be going too far too fast. Right, and I like that too, where he's yeah. like, I'm going to spend you know, the Christmas holiday with, with Master Malfoy and his family, and Snape, the guy who you know was in all the Death Eater meetings with Lucius, is like, crap. And he <laughs> runs to Dumbledore probably and says, what do we do, what do we do? And Dumbledore's like, I have a plan. And picture Vernon Dursley sitting at his writing desk writing out the note, and he looks up at Dumbledore and, like, puts his hand out, and Dumbledore has, like, a wad of bills, and he's like, 10, 20, 30, 40. <laughs> it's Vernon signing the letter. I think you're exactly right. I think that would have been too far too fast. I, I, I don't think that would have worked out. But yeah, that was a really good preemptive strike. You know, it was very plausible that Harry wouldn't be allowed to. Just, yeah. I, I actually think, well, I'm actually thinking about that too. It's like in most schools, you know, for summer holidays or for Christmas holidays, they can't like, it's like Dumbledore doesn't have legal custody of Harry for the year. So it's like, I will not allow you to go home with your friends. <laughs> it it, it yeah. brings back the teacher in me. I'm sorry, you can't leave without a note. Uh, I, I realize that my kids over. are four, but yeah, you can't keep them. Yeah, but and which is obviously, 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 it was a ruse on Dumbledore's part because you know Harry goes to the Weasleys, so obviously it necessarily happened that way. But I thought that was very fair that it Snape jumped in and Snape had them. Had them run. Oh, there's just a point. And, I was just about to bring yeah. up. No, go ahead. I can't remember. I'd say a, a point I think is interesting to touch on is. The um, over the break when first off Dumbledore still gives Harry the cloak, even though he's in Slytherin, which I kind of like because it nips in the bud. And you see this. I don't know how many how many other Harry and Slytherin fics you've read, but the two biggest pitfalls you always I've read like dozens of these fics, and the two biggest pitfalls you always see when Harry goes into Slytherin is either one he's exactly the same Harry as in canon with like he's best friends with Ron and Hermione, and he hates Draco and he hates all this. He's just like. Gryffindor Harry, who happens to live in the dungeons. And the second biggest problem you see is that all of a sudden, uh, Dumbledore turns on Harry and hates Harry because Harry's not his golden boy anymore because Harry didn't get sort of to Gryffindor. And Dumbledore hates all Slytherins. And because Harry's in the Slytherin now, Dumbledore hates him. And uh, I, th- I think it's fitting that he gets the cloak back. And then in terms of the mirror, I think it shows you that even with all these changes, there's still, this is still, I guess, the core of Harry, that when he looks in the mirror, what does he see? He's still seeing his parents. And what does Draco see? Draco sees sort of similar to Ron, which I guess furthers that parallel. Yeah. What I really liked about uh, Draco looking in the mirror, actually, is that in contrast to Ron, where Ron is really seeing himself compared to his brothers, which still some of that because, you know, Sorry, Draco does have a brother. Um, but additionally, Draco sees himself not only on the Quidditch pitch and being head of, you know, the Quidditch team and everything, but he sees himself surrounded by the Slytherins. Mm. You know? And I thought that was very telling because for Ron, I mean, and, and this just shows the difference in mm. culture between the two characters because otherwise you can definitely see the parallels Deathrill is making between Draco and Ron here, looking in the mirror. But Draco sees himself surrounded by his friends. 
and Ron just sees himself outdoing his brothers. Well, that answers that question too, doesn't it? Because the thing I always said in the beginning, the thing I had said when I began reading the story to myself was, I can't picture Draco with friends. And when you look at the canon, what you have to support that is he, he walk, he's walks around with goons who he doesn't seem particularly close with. And I think I do that mental, you know, shortcut in my head where I just compare Draco to Tom Riddle, and if Tom Riddle didn't need friends, damn it, Draco doesn't either. But that shows Death Roll's foundation of the character, that he sees himself surrounded by his friends. So either that means he sees his friends grow up and live and be, and be safe and everything's fine, or he feels as though he lacks those friends, and he and he sees them as his as his greatest desire. Just as Harry lacks his parents, but his greatest desire would be to see them and, with, and be with them. So I hadn't thought of that. The fact that Death Row puts that in there—that's that's a really big statement. Interesting. I'm thinking about this differently too now. Look what she does. She does this so awesome. I'm just flipping through my notes here. I think we're getting near the end uh, tonight. I'm just looking. I want to make sure there's nothing else I leave out. One scene which I thought was... I didn't like it during the first read-through because I was still in that mode of this, this, these must be canon characters, but with that one change. Um, when Harry is confronted by Ron and his twin brothers, or the twins, I'm not sure why I just called him his twi- them his twin brothers, like I've never heard of them before. <laughs> and um, they eventually head down to the dungeons laughing. And Ron and the twins are still at the top of the stairs, and hearing the laughter echoing through the halls, they get scared and run away. And I thought, if they are afraid of distant laughter, they are truly wimps. Like, I just thought that was really weird. Why are they sorted into Gryffindor? (laughs) That was my thing. I'm like... You're the twins are fearful of laughter now. Like that just seems <laughs> the only one. The only character that shows any. Well, the only one that shows any sort of backbone in these chapters is Neville, because Neville's like, "I'm worth twelve of you," and Ron's like, "That's right, Neville." Just like I taught you. I thought that was a really cute moment. But the only thing I was waiting for there was Harry. You know, files. You know, a lawsuit to get them to stop tormenting poor Neville, and they all agree. I was waiting for a line there that when when Neville starts pissing off Draco and when Neville starts fighting back, I was waiting for someone to say, look, we promised Harry we wouldn't, you know, bully you. Don't make us change our mind. I was looking for something to to change that dynamic and make, you know, them think, why is Harry sticking up for us? What's up with him? And kind of change the story a little bit. I was, And it didn't happen, so maybe I was just completely off, but... I was looking for something like that. I thought that was where the story was going to go. Uh, See, I, something... Oh, you go. Uh, yeah. The, um, I really... Okay, it's right after the thing with um, Neville and the whole thing there. And so Draco is looking through his binoculars and humming. And uh, Seamus and Dean Thomas are soon uh, humming along with him. And Crab and Doyle come and humming the harmony. And Tim begins to sing a bit. And, you know, they start singing the song about... Uh, King, uh, Sir Arthur and Charming uh, Molly. Not that Weasley, Weasley ordered his housemates. Now singing with Slytherin. He was. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I had a note in my original things here that's like Ron should run for Parliament or whatever. He's really good at passing useless laws. No singing with the Slytherins. <laughs> <laughs> Are those real songs, by the way? I don't know. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it yeah. Is. I just want to point this out. The other ones are. I just want to point out this line here, too. Ron, um, this is in Chapter 8. 
Ron and the twins. These are my notes. Ron and the twins take Harry's broom. Tim spat. Now this is this is exactly this is verbatim from from the from the story here. Tim spat outrage at Weasley's rudeness and presumption. Like I just like. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I'm reading this completely incorrectly. Um, <laughs> like, where are you? <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Leave me alone. At this point in the story, I'm still expecting the Slytherins to act like canon Slytherins and the Gryffindors to act like canon Gryffindors, and it's just different perspectives. So picture, you know, a fight between a Gryffindor and a, and a Slytherin in the canon. You'd expect, you know, the Slytherin to provoke the Gryffindor, and, the, and it would be self-defense. And you have these, you know, character traits in your head. Ron and the twins take Harry's broom. So they, they are taking the broom from a Slytherin. Tim the Slytherin. Tim spat outrage at Weasley's rudeness and presumption. So picture in the canon, like, one of the one of the Slytherins saying, I'm going to sue you! That was awful the way you're treating me. <laughs> and then the best line came from, from Ron. That is a broom, Weasley said. Yeah... <laughs> <laughs> and? It's, it reminds me of when we interviewed Xenia, um, and she was discussing Half-Blood Prince, and there was a scene where the trio was looking out the window, and they're like, there's three owls, one for each of us. And it's like, who writes this stuff? <laughs> like, I don't mean to be, I, that was a line that just cracked me up. It's like, We're talking of- outrage. <laughs> Weasley's presumption and arrogance. I'm like, usually you're trying to kill him in most of these fics I read. I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> You're talking about weird lines from canon and such. Yes. They use it in here, too. It's They ask at the train station when Harry's trying to figure out where the platform is. Molly Weasley asks, now what's the number of the platform again? I know. And then Jim, I'm like, duh. I forget <laughs> nine and three quarters. Everybody knows that. It's I mean, like, I guess it's just a... Has he done it? <laughs> right. Yes. I guess it's just a plot device, but still... <laughs> Well, that was the thing that cracked me up, and, and I and I this is the best compliment I can give to any author of fan fiction. The, the lines that pissed me off the most in the story were the ones written by J.K. Rowling. I'm like, what? <laughs> like the other one I put in here, I had this whole section in my notes of how I couldn't understand whether Deathrill was having the story be narrated from Harry or by himself. And, like, in this scene, he refers to um, Professor Sprout as a dumpy little witch, and that's her introduction. I'm like, okay, is that what Harry thought, or is that what Deathrill thought? And I got a memo back from Melinda. That was in the canon, please see attached page numbers. I'm like, <laughs> and then there was a comment about Neville and, you know, the fat-faced little kid, the, the fat-faced boy. I'm like, that's really rude. She's like, please be attached page. I'm like, oh, that's, that's like the 15th one so far. Sorry. Um, it, again. it just, I'm like, it, it just absolutely cracked me up the fact that reading this, J.K. Rowling seems to be the worst fan fiction author ever. And by comparison, Death Roll is very good, so... Uh, you're cracking me up tonight, right? <laughs> well, well, that makes me happy because I'm absolutely <laughs> exhausted and have no earthly idea what I'm saying. All right. um, um, something I was going to mention earlier uh, on the topic of Draco's brother. I say Elahan. I don't know what anyone else says. 
But uh, which how are you guys? You call him Elon. That's what, that's what I always say. I would say Elon. Yeah, Elon. Elon. Let's go with Elon. Elon. If you're from, it sounds better actually. I'm sure I know it is Elon. Actually, Elon doesn't make much sense. Elon. Anyway, I, I was thinking too as you were talking about the comparison between Ron and Draco that he's maybe part of that too. That he's sort of Draco's version of Percy. Mm-hmm. That, and then that's the parallel there, that he's sort of. The he seems so much cooler than Percy because, like, he puts edicts out. Please find attached a flyer for our new Glee Club. If you don't join, I will shoot you. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta respect that. (laughs) Would you join, Ryan? Well, I can't really sing, as you'll see in our Christmas episode. (laughs) I'll shoot you if you don't join, Ryan. (laughs) Well, neither can Harry. It's okay. Yeah, it comes out all right. Sorry, at one point here, Harry screams, Great Scott, and all I could picture was the moment from the Paradigm of Uncertainty trilogy, where Harry's like, Just a mo! Just a mo! I like we trying to explain plastic to them, too. Like, they put plastic ornaments on the trees. What's plastic? It's, it's, you know, like, how do you describe plastic to someone who never, doesn't, never seen plastic at all? Without using the word plastic in the sense. Yeah, without using the word plastic, how do you describe plastic? That is a good and, question. It's a muggle thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like I thought about like, how would I describe plastic? Someone who never saw plastic. Yeah, I don't know. How did they begin on the? Oh, oh, thank God! It was actually from the thick. I'm like, how did they begin on the plastic? <laughs> this has been our most on-topic podcast that I've ever been on. Can yeah, I just right. tell you, Mike? Mike is driving the bus on this one, and this is a pretty big step for the guy who had no idea what Mprank was and needed to be sedated. I mean, like, I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed. And their size. But, um, all right, let's do um, wrap-up thoughts here. Um, what thoughts do you have from the first 15 chapters, points we missed, things you wanted to get out there? Uh, why don't we start with Sue, the quiet one? You're going to do that. Um, uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. I really liked this um, when I, I started it, and, and I do have that in the back of my mind thing, but it's not quite canon, but I can really see how it where it's going and and that it is a realistic portrayal the way that it's being done. You had put in your notes and I had put in my notes too that you liked Draco staying behind at Christmas and I, I thought that was really a, a nice thing too mm-hmm. where he really defied his father to stay with Harry and um, I just thought that was, we talked a lot about Draco having friends and that, you know, that truly was an act of friendship to, to defy his father and I don't know how much foreshadowing this might be, but I do feel that Draco has a healthy fear of his father. So to to actually do that and stay behind was was a really great thing. So and I was glad too that you didn't have like one of those middle dramatic moments where all of them signed and all of them stayed. I like the fact that it was focused between Draco and Harry there. Mm-hmm. Ray, you up? You up? <laughs> <laughs> you up, you up no, girl. Grammatical excitement from Ryan today. <laughs> well, I have, haven't read a story before where um, Harry was sorted into Slytherin from the start. You know, I read The Year Like None Other and thought it was cool. But this story, I don't know if it's just my Slytherin tendencies or what, but I'm just like hooked on it, and I cannot wait for him to write more. Like I've been badgering she him. Been, she's been sending room. me messages. She's been sending me messages all week. Like, okay, 
Oh, me. <laughs> you? Yeah. She's been sending me all messages all week. Okay, now what time do we start the podcast? The podcast well, I'm on a different today. time zone now, and I couldn't remember. She's like, just to start now, I'm like, you're not 43 hours ahead. Come back. So she's been very excited for the podcast. So I get online tonight, one minute after we're supposed to start. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? So she's been very excited. So that's why you weren't online right before the podcast. <laughs> Avoiding me. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just really amused by the way he uses all the parallels with canon, but yet rewrites it. Like they have the Mirror of Erised and the, the Invisibility Cloak. A lot of it's still the same as canon, which I've mm-hmm. always liked. And it's just interesting to see it in a new perspective, in a new way. And I just cannot wait for more. You're going to be so excited once you read more. Uh, <laughs> you too. You I'm putting the next 15 chapters on my podcast. <laughs> on my podcast. On my and iPod I'm, for tomorrow. Cause I, nice. I'm so stoked about the end of year three. Because that's just how I would have wanted it to end. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> so that's a little ahead of myself. But yeah. <laughs> Good stuff coming, Ryan. I, I, want, I always hate it because it's like everyone knows and they can't tell me, but everyone's laughing at me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm leave it up. Hi. Um, Hi. I, you know, I, people who are listening probably don't know, but I know that you know. I was really excited when this pick came up and the option of it coming forward. And although I've actually been in a previous episode of Before Now, um, as of when I signed up for this fic, I had not. And this was going to be my first uh, fic guest hosting. And I was like, and Ryan had said, you know, are there any fics you're interested in doing? I said, no, not really. And this one came up. I said, if that one's nominated, put me on the list. You know, mm-hmm. very excited sure. about it. And I am so excited to be part of it because I just, I think this takes a really interesting premise and it's very amusingly executed. I mean, there's things that maybe I'll say, hey, you know, maybe I don't think this characterization maybe is quite perfect, but mostly I can at least follow it. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's very amusingly written. Um, my very favorite line, which I've saved for the very end, is as follows. A Ravenclaw got tired of studying, then I observed slyly. That's like saying a Slytherin growing weary of purity. And it's just like, there's all these things that I just like, I just crack up and like, I'm sitting here reading and, you know, uh, my partner looks over and he goes, what are you reading? <laughs> you know, and I just, I love that. And especially with my time being what it is at the moment and my amount of free time, something like this where I get something, you know, I get something great and a little bit snarky and wonderful every time I sit down. And I just, I love it. The end. The end. Mike. All right. Um, I really love this fic, too. Uh, Same as uh, Homely. I mean, when I saw it was up, I was like, let me grab every spot I can grab on it. Uh, I I think Slytherin's in general. He he poisoned Rinna. I'm 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 (laughs) making a flabbing accusation. I Slytherined Rinna is what I did. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. So what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So I really enjoyed this fic. I, and I've read it multiple times. I'm, I'm excited to do it. Um, and I think one of the reasons I like it is I, I am someone who gets into the Slytherin fix, And I've read I've read a number of Harry Sword to Slytherin ones. And this is by far the best in that genre. Most of them are kind of – I mean, I like Slytherin fix, and I admit most of them are really just bad. Uh <laughs> And I think what I like about this is one of, as, some, as those of you who talked to me, one of the things I'll 
I'll rant on if you get me going, is the idea that when you read canon, it's all through these Gryffindor glasses, and that why is Slytherin one-dimensional? It's one-dimensional because of Harry's point of view and Harry's background and the the way he's influenced by his friends. And I like that this fic sort of flips everything on its head, and it's, you know, well, Harry's in Slytherin, and now it's the Slytherins who are the detailed people and the Gryffindors who are one-dimensional. And I think it underlines that if we're being realistic in terms of, I mean, I, obviously these are children's books, so J.K. purposely left things, certain things one-dimensional. But if we're going to try to view these as like a real world, which I think is one of the purposes of fanfic, then there's no such thing as, you know, one quarter of all 11-year-olds being destined to turn out evil or, you know, all these, you know, one quarter of the entire school are all one-dimensional people. And, you know, if you're sorting to this house, you're bad. And you're sorting to this house, you're good. Um, you know, these are all individuals. And even if we don't think it reading the canon, they have to have some sort of emotion and some sort of backstory and some sort of depth if they're real people. And a fic like this lets us see that and lets, it see it, lets us see it from a Slytherin's perspective. I don't think it's surprising that so many people from PFW who love it are in Slytherin House, because I think it reflects a lot of our own personal views about Slytherin and the books in general. Mm -hmm. I want to say this, too. Uh, I want to say that I have a very different view of this effect than when I began it. Um, As I said tonight, I began expecting it to be one type of thing, and it came out to be another. So I'm really looking forward to continuing reading, because now I think I have a really good frame of reference. I think right now... I will enjoy it much more than I maybe otherwise would have because it will now, I think, greatly exceed my expectations. I just, I, I was misclassifying it before, and I think that's the fairest way to put it. Um, I think now that I'm looking back on it, looking back on, on you know, the many different chapters, I think there are parts of the story so far that were done very well. I think there were some parts of the story that didn't click as well for me, but I think that they were few and far you know, between as we got nearer to the end. And I, and, I think Death Row really, really, really um, improved the characterization and, and the pacing of the story as he went. Like, like for example, um, I have something written in my notes here, which I just happened to cross, um, you know, written in script form. Harry, I'm sure that all muggles aren't bad. It's not right to be cruel to others. Ryan, Harry, you've just committed a hate crime against Ron, you little puke. Like, it's like right after Harry beats the crap out of Ron in the next scene, he's like, you know what? It's not right to be cruel to other people. I'm like, what? You just beat the crap out of them. So, I mean, the, there were moments like that where it seemed like the, Harry was going back and forth and back and forth, and Draco was putting his hand on his shoulder saying, don't worry, everything will be okay. And then five minutes later, he's, like, you know, knocking Neville down the flight of stairs. Like, it's very selective characterization, which may be the point, and maybe I'm just not being fair enough to him, and that's insanely possible as well. But what I think is that going forward, it, it's it's a really interesting idea for a fic. It's a very bold idea for a fic, and I'm going to interpret it as a story where the characters are different. It's another author's spin. It's 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 the same base story, but it's a lot of different changes along the way, and the characters are not going to behave like I may have expected them to behave from canon. And as long as I accept that, I can move ahead and enjoy the story. So I'm really looking forward to what's coming ahead. And if if Tim and Pansy start dating, I think this could be my favorite fic of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and Sue's laughing at me, and I'm never quite sure how to take that. You'll just have to keep read and see. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. I promise I will have a full report on the next 15 chapters by tomorrow. By tomorrow? Uh, really? By tomorrow. 
<laughs> really? Well, probably. Um, okay. Mike of old is back. He's like, really? I'm like, no, Mike. No, there's no way I can have that much fun. <laughs> oh. But I mean, oh, like, I'm, oh, this is sorry. Mike who had to read the the last what four million words of. Uh... Oh, <laughs> that was not a fun trip. Yeah. I apologize for that. That's what happens when you stay on call. I apologize for that. <laughs> And with that, we're going to take off for the evening. We will be back next week where we'll cover up to Chapter 9 of uh, Chamber of Secrets. So moving steadily through the fic. Uh, anyone, if you have any comments on anything from our coverage of the fic to your own thoughts on the chapters, uh, please shoot us emails, send us in voicemails if you would like. If you have um, the ability to record audio files, you can send um, your voicemails or emails to ryan at polyficweekly.com and they will end up on a podcast. Very cool. Anyone else have anything to say on the way out or are we good to go? I think we're good. Bye. Yeah. I think- Bye. Bye. <laughs> So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.